Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, tonight is episode eight, titled Razelmania, because tonight we got former LSU baseball stud and current New York Yankee prospect Eric Razelman joining us. But Jim, I got to get to you, man. It's a big weekend. You got to see some soccer. What else you have going on? Dude, I don't even want to talk about soccer. LSU baseball is all day. Let's get to it. I'm wearing purple. I'm ready to go. Man, you're fired up, man. Let's let's do it then, man. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, New York Yankees star prospect, Eric Razelman. Right, Eric, my man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. How are we doing tonight? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. You know, I want to start, you know, just a little little icebreaker, get to know you a little bit. You know, these are these are two like very important questions that kind of sets the tone for the interview. Get us, you know, knowing a little bit about you. Your guy throws hard. You, you, you throw smoke. I gotta ask, as you were growing up, who was your favorite pitcher to watch? No doubt Tim Lincecum. I mean, I grew up a Giants fan, so, you know, seeing the freak go at it, you know, it, it was – at the time, it was something that, you know, I don't remember anyone seeing pitcher-wise. I mean, that type of mobility, type of stuff he was able to do. I mean, that playoffs he had back in, I want to say it was – it was 20, 2010 was his year, I want to say, um, that, that, that he did his thing, but – I mean, that was a crazy few years watching him pitch um, with the Giants. So growing up watching that, I, I got to stick with it. I mean, that that whole staff they had, what was it? Lincecum, Kane, was, I don't think Bumgarner was there maybe, but like. Yeah, Jonathan Sanchez. Yeah. Those, I, know, I feel like Bumgarner's been there for like 30 years. I, that's what I, that's what I feel like, you know, he's like the Wayne, the, the Adam Wainwright of, uh, for the Giants, just the guy that's there all the time. Um. But obviously, you know, West Coast guy, what's your what's your favorite baseball movie growing up? Oh, man. I mean, I mean we watched The Sandlot. God knows how many times. Benchwarmers, if you want to mix in real comedy. I mean, you, you can't go. I still watch that. And it, I try not to laugh and I still laugh. So, I mean, you can't. That'll be a lifelong thing right there. So, you know, in terms of classicness, I, I'd say Sandlot, but for laughs you got to go bench warmers nice two two classics two solid <laughs> ones good laughs good good wholesome family fun i like those all right eric man let's let's get into this obviously we we want to know a little bit about you the backstory tell us a little bit obviously west coast guy but where in the west coast are you coming from what was it like growing up yeah so um was born and raised in san ramon california which is about a 45 minute drive um away from san francisco um, you know, obviously where I ended up going to college first, but, um, you know, growing up over there was cool. You get, you got a lot to do, um, really cool culture. I mean, a ton of things happen all the time. So it was never boring. Um, grew up with, uh, two brothers, one older, one younger, um, older was a lot older. He's 11 years older than me. He was the, uh, the football, football star of the house. 
Um, I want to say he was probably three or four times more athletic than I was and still am. <laughs> so um, having him as a bit of a role model um, kind of into sports uh, as a whole was, was pretty, uh, pretty cool to have. Uh, he ended up playing football at Fresno State um, during the Derek Carr era. He was a, uh, was a tight end. Um, so it was really, you know, really cool to watch him growing up. And, uh, you know, baseball for me was kind of always the go-to. Um, I was never athletic enough to play any other sport, quite honestly. I, I got to ask, man, you, you mentioned you're a Giants fan. So I, I just feel like the Oakland A's get shafted by everybody like what is like who ends up being an oakland A's fan how do you like how does one become an oakland A's fan i know there's not many i i see the attendance but like <laughs> how does that happen i have a friend group i have a friend group of four i mean we grew up together um best friends do everything together and three of us are giants fans and one one poor uh one poor guy happens to be an A's fan and he's so damn adamant about it like, it doesn't matter how much they lose. It doesn't matter who they trade away. It doesn't matter how many hearts they break. This dude where it shows up, I mean, to every function wearing green and gold. So the one thing I'll tell you is that they're loyal. You know, the, the, those fans those fans stick through. All uh, 1,500 of them are loyal. Is, is their you're claim push, to you're fame? Pushing it there. You're pushing it. it. I'd, I'd, I'd keep them under a grand. But. <laughs> I, I feel like anytime you get into an argument, like they're going to immediately, like they're one and only like, like argumentative defenses. Well, we have money ball. <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment. I, I, don't, I don't know either, but I don't know. I don't know what else they could say. Well, it's like Notre Dame football. Now they go back to Rudy it, it, when it all comes down to it. They're like, but did you see Brad Pitt in our movie? <laughs> hey. Now they got that Manti Teo documentary too. Yeah. Oh, we I, was actually, just, I was actually watching it before we started. Man, we had to, actually might be better than Rudy. I'm just saying. Yeah, we had to pull we had to pull Jim away. He he was he was fixated on this, but you know you talked about the A's fans having a lot of perseverance through the through the tough times. Obviously, you know we we've read and heard some interviews that you've done. You talk about your parents. You talk about their perseverance. How did they play such a pivotal role in who you are today? Oh man. I mean, they, they raised me, they raised me so well. I mean, um, never had a participation trophy type family. Um, you know, if, if driving home with my dad, it's, it's straightforward. You know, I went, uh, I went over two with a dinky little blooper. We're not focusing on that. We're focusing on the fact that I let two perfect fastballs down the middle go for strike three. You know, that's just how I grew up. Um, so being hard on me like that, um, you know, never accepting anything other than, you know, when, when I did succeed or when I did give everything I had both, you know, on the field and in the classroom, I, if I didn't come home that week with a grade report of, you know, anything, anything other than A's, I'd be staying home from the field that weekend. It was, it was really, you know, tough, uh, tough household. And it was the only way for me to, um, learn the right lessons, stay away from trouble, um, he wanted to make sure that, you know, everything that, that he had learned and that my mom had learned, um, you know, on their road to, you know, as, as a lot of people call it, and it's pretty, pretty much a good term to use, you know, realizing the American dream for them, it was, uh, wasn't easy. Um, just about started with nothing on both ends. And um, my dad 
has turned himself into an extremely, extremely successful business owner. My mom has owned a chiropractic practice for over 20 years. I mean, um, they've done as much as they could with what they had and better. Um, so seeing that as an example, seeing my older brother, um, work as hard as he did in high school, um, you know, to realize his goal of playing college football, it, it had all the right examples around me. Um, everyone did things the right way. And, you know, you're, you're in many times a product of your environment. So seeing all that and knowing the right things and the wrong things to do, um, definitely helped out with, you know, how long and kind of where the baseball career is headed. Yeah. So you, you mentioned your brother, you talked about, um, you know, his football career playing at Fresno, um, was baseball the only sport that you played or were you a multi-sport guy? No, no, I, um, quite honestly, I just was never athletic enough to play anything other than baseball. Um, <laughs> it wasn't the fact that, you know, um, I just at first loved it more than anything. It was realistically the, the first sport that I could play and have any sort of success at. And the love for it came um, over the years. I think that the longer I stayed with it, um, the more time I put in. And really when I started focusing, being on the bump um, was when I realistically found a love for it. Um, you know, as it's progressed, pitching is my absolute favorite thing to do in the world. I couldn't, you know, see myself not, not being on the mound um, competing that way. So it was definitely a love that was um, kind of made throughout. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't at first, but I was only a one sport guy. So, you know, obviously getting into just the baseball thing, it seems like, you know, despite the athleticism that you claim you don't have, I can argue that you can do a lot of things that would say that you are athletic. But um, with that, I, I have a clip that I want to break down. It's from um, LSU Tigers on Tiger Bait. Um, it, it, it talks about Dave Coggin and, and gets into your feelings about him. And, you know, for those that don't know, um, you know, one of the, the best pitching minds that that's out there, you know, just a, a guy who just can give you everything when it comes to baseball. So let's take a listen real quick. He's such a knowledgeable person about um, the art of pitching itself and was able to kind of slow me down when I wasn't sure the direction in which my, um, you know, my arm, my health, my, um, you know, my future in baseball was headed, you know, it was before, before I was in the transfer portal. And then it, I was there for a little bit during uh, the time I was in the transfer portal. And the guy. so, you know, it, it talks about your feeling for, for Dave. And it, it talks a lot about the, you know, what he did for you as far as maturing as a pitcher. Um, obviously you can throw a hundred miles an hour now. So I got to ask, was that something that he helped develop or was that something that you knew at an early age that, man, I can throw hard. And like, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'll eventually throw, you know, 98, 99, a hundred. It's a little both. I mean, he, he did, he did so much um, for me and, and more than anything, he provided kind of a source of confidence where it was a point where I, I didn't know where anything was headed. Um, had, had entered the portal, didn't know whether I'd be able to transfer to a school, even if a division one school kind of had nothing, nothing to my name at that point. If you look me up, you saw six, seven ERA with more walks than strikeouts. So, or six, one, seven, whatever it was, it was awful. And so, you know, coming in there and 
him seeing my mechanics a little bit, him working with me, he saw something that a lot of people didn't see. And it took three, four weeks for him to give me some, some cues, some ways to think about it, change the way my body moved, the directions it went in a little bit. And the results just, I mean, it skyrocketed. My, you know, uh, pitch numbers were on a different level. Um, and kind of more than anything, I, I was confident in the fact that I can compete against guys in the WCC, um, in the Cape, in the SEC. Like it, the most confidence I'd ever had going into uh, that summer in the Cape. So he did a lot, a lot for me. And yeah, I'd always kind of known that, you know, I threw hard, had a quick arm, but I'd never cultivated it. I never knew the best way to go about it. I always kind of just hoped that that would get me places. And, and it took a while, um, but it, you know, I got to that point where I understood that it was going to take a lot more um, to move on. So Jim's going to dive into it, you know, when you guys start talking about LSU, but um, is Dave one of the guys that help? Like, obviously, you your me mechanics are a little unorthodox as far as the toe tap. Is that something he helped adopt, or did you pick that up, you know, after the fact? Or was that something that you did totally on your own? Completely me. That was um, actually this January. Um, it was – I went through the whole fall. I don't think we'd do it without doing that. Uh, it was just something that got my weight in my backside a little more, kind of calmed me down before making a pitch rather than just getting my foot down, getting excited and going and added a bit of an element of um, breathing, you know, because for me, I struggled just breathing. You know, I struggled sitting there in the stretch and breathing and taking time. I would, I would get a little too antsy. So kind of getting my picking my foot up and down a little bit um, was just a way for me to reset a little bit and, feel the weight in the backside, be able to put a little more force in every pitch. Eric, we have that in common. I have trouble breathing sometimes when I got to bend over to put my shoes on. I got you, bro. <laughs> but listen, man, let's go to it. Where, for those that don't know you from the West Coast, where did you go to high school? I went to De La Salle High School uh, in Concord, California. So De La Salle, a lot of people hear that and they think automatically football, right? We got Maurice Jones, Drew. I mean, there's a list. It's a mile long of football players but a couple of baseball players and now obviously with you getting drafted it puts you on that list but I gotta ask you man you go to De La Salle's Wikipedia page I gotta be Eric your name's not on here and as notable alumni I'm gonna I'm gonna report this right now I'm gonna put your name on there Wikipedia and we'll see how long it sticks right but going to a school that has that rich history of of football athletics but football in particular what made you go there it was you know I had seen so many guys come out of there in middle school. It was such a topic of conversation. It was like talking to the, talking to the, my buddies at a public middle school. We were like, it was a legend. Like, oh, De La Salle, he sees coming out of there. Like, Justin Hooper's about to go get drafted, you know, in the first or second round. Like, you got all these names. You got, like, just this notoriety that went with it. And, and then I, you know, did a little more research on my own with, with one of my best buddies. And, you know, we saw just where the baseball program was headed. So many names. I mean, they were – kicking literally every every school in our areas but I mean it, it was just it was tough to beat you know the the reputation that it had in sports and I was at that point really starting to develop you know the love for baseball that I had and it was kind of a no-brainer for me to apply there um, and try to go try to go spend four years playing ball yeah, so obviously you you do go there, you start playing baseball, but walk me through this. You and Michael Jordan got a little something in common. Did you get 
Did you get cut from the high school baseball team, Mary? Yeah. So I, I went my freshman year and, and, and this is, you know, a short bit about it, but um, our freshman team, we had two of them. There were so many kids that tried out, but we had two freshman teams and even then a ton got cut. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, it, it was, it was easier to make just cause it was less about, less about, you know, real like fine tuned skills. Like the guys that could possibly play would make it, you know, the guys that didn't play baseball or, weren't familiar with the game or just kind of starting out and got cut. So there were two teams, 60 kids, some, some crazy like that. Um, and so I'd made it that year. Um, <laughs> didn't really play, but you know, it was, it was cool to be on the team. And I kind of thought it'd be a done deal heading into JV. Um, I didn't have my sights set on varsity. I thought there was absolutely no shot. I was making varsity, but you know, I'd assumed it made the freshman team thought that it was going to be pretty, pretty straightforward moving on. And, uh, harsh reality you know it's it's not so I get cut my sophomore year from uh from JV and, and varsity um didn't play high school ball kept playing kind of you know work working on it like I, I definitely wasn't going to give it up but had my head you know had my heart set on coming back um and at least trying to make JV as a junior you know and and came back and it was junior year tryouts maybe I was like 82 83 um kind of a breaking ball a little bit um, and got the same, same uh, two lines from my head coach at the end of, at the end of tryouts. So got cut from both varsity and JV again as a junior. Um, and from then kind of just, Oh, I didn't want to give it up. You know, my family um, was very, very adamant at the time um, kind of sat me down I think they took me to dinner one night. We're trying to, you know, trying to make it seem real nice and all, but uh, they wanted the best for me and, and they thought it was time to hang it up, focus on school, um, kind of follow on the path that they went on. Um, and I, you know, I, I respected them for doing it. I really understood why, but I couldn't do it just then. I, I wasn't, you know, wasn't all right with, with hanging it up. So I kept playing um, that spring on like a, I don't want to say it was a league. It was like, there's a group of like maybe 20, 25 guys that uh, were cut from their high school teams. And we had one travel coach in common um, that we had played with, you know, before. And so they had us play um, at a field, like pretty close to my house on Friday nights. We'd play like a nine inning game. Um, I'd pitch, I'd hit. It was great time. Um, but I kind of kept, kept going with it and was lucky enough to hit a bit of a growth spurt that spring. So the ball started coming out a little harder. Um, they had to shut that program down just because, you know, they didn't really have the money to operate it anymore. So that coach, you know, knew I wanted to keep going. So he took me to a tryout for a pretty good travel team in our area, um, made it, made that team and uh, went out with them for the first tournament and uh, actually committed the next week to the university of San Francisco after that first tournament. Oh, wow. So, you, yeah. So, perseverance right your parents sit you down they talk about this and obviously you talked about the success that your parents have had so obviously you know that they know what they're talking about maybe this is a path I mean how much doubt was in your mind like damn are they right I'm just not ready to give this up it was it was a lot of doubt I mean it was a lot of doubt but it was just that little bit that was like no like there's something here like there's something here and a lot of it was was about proving those guys wrong and you know as much as I still talk to my high school coach um my varsity coach and you still keep in touch um, and as much as I hated him at the time for cutting me, um, he, 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 what he did ended up being the sole reason that I'm where I am, you know, in my baseball career, whether 
at the time, you know, he did it for the right reasons or not. It, it, it's why I'm here. Um, yeah. And so I respect him for it. Um, but yeah. definitely I, I, the thing that was driving me was proving him wrong, proving my teammates there wrong. Um, you know, I knew that I could be, I knew that I could be there with them. I knew that I could compete with them. Um, and a lot of it turned into to showing that I could, you know, I could work, I could work at it and come back and, and prove them wrong. And come back, you did. So that perseverance paid off your senior year. It kind of all came together for you, right? Yep. I mean, just reading some of these stats before we go into it. 8 and 0, 0.55 ERA as a really held opponents to 140 batting average, had a three to one strikeout to walk ratio, 74 Ks, 25 walks, with and 50.2 innings. So obviously, when you're doing all this, are you having like a, a moment or moments of thinking, like, I told y'all, like in your head, or are you just, grateful for the opportunity or both at that point at that point i was just grateful i was happy to be there um the i want to say there was one moment of like told y'all it was actually the day that everyone found out i committed it was in the middle of the summer so no one had heard from me in like a while and all these guys at at school had no idea and, and i committed and you know everyone that commits throws a little instagram post on there and i wasn't you Look know for the gram <laughs> i was like the one thing that i'm you know as a junior in high school cut for the last two years having to hear from every from everyone you know like oh are you you gonna be back on the team like are you, are you trying out next year like the kind of like you know little jabs like the are you, you gonna come back try out one more time like all of that your best was, shot buddy yeah there was a lot of that you know and and again don't get me wrong some of those guys my senior year some of those teammates are, are some of my really close friends I still keep in touch with them but it took took a while for them to you know to trust me to to be there you know I I for as, as, as difficult as things happened back in high school, I, I didn't work very hard. Like I, I worked hard on the baseball piece. I didn't know how to lift the weight. I was super self-conscious about getting in the weight room. I was the smallest kid there. And so, you know, it was, it was a mix of not really wanting to start it and being a little too worried. I wouldn't you know, embarrass myself, whatever it'd be. So I, I didn't get in the weight room in those off season workouts. Right. And they did that as a team. So, it definitely took me out of that team atmosphere and, and gave them a reason to, um, you know, to cut me. So just, just happy things worked out the way well, they did. Well, before you continue on, you know, Daniel, he's talking about his weight room piece and I get all that, but you were, you were a baseball coach. You were obviously a college pitcher, high school pitcher, you know, when you see what you see from him and you hear him tell a story, like, can you just imagine actually cutting him from your baseball team? So, I think you have to look at the the gamut of players that were trying out. And I think, you know, Eric's probably a realist now. Like, he could probably give a fair evaluation of him compared to the other guys. I mean, Eric, do you feel like you were ready for that compared to the guys that actually made the team? So, you know, if we're putting it just in terms of talent at the time, um, yeah, I, I think that, that, that anyone – I would have been on the team. Maybe you don't pitch me, whatever it may be. But, but the reason that he cut me, it was more of the fact that he had the talent. He knew he was going to win. You know, it was more of like, a, you don't get in the weight room. You don't work as hard at this, which is a part of our team as you should. So either go figure it out and work harder or don't play on my team. And that's, like I said, like, that's where now, you know, I, I, I'm able to respect him for it where, he made a decision that maybe wasn't looking out for me the whole time, but at the same time, um, it was the, it was the best way to go about it. I mean, he, he knew he was going to win. 
you know, he knew he didn't need me to win baseball games. Um, so putting me on the team was kind of going to be more of just, all right, like you have the talent, you can sit and you can be here with us. Um, but he basically gave me the opportunity to, to figure it out and be like, Hey, you know, if you want it, go get it. And, um, that's what I had to do. And again, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. No, we, we, we didn't, we didn't know that Stevie wonder was your high school baseball. <laughs> so, but diving back into that, you don't go the, the typical route, right? As you, you know, like you said, just missed a, a two seasons basically. So you're playing travel ball and you commit, but at what point do colleges start reaching out to you as you're playing travel ball and on these, this other league, as you called it? No, I, I was, I had this BS NCSA recruiting profile when I was playing against these guys who were cut great guys, some, some talented dudes, but um, it's like, I, I was putting up these videos of me on a little plastic mound with our coach behind me, umpiring, hoping that some college coach will reach out. And I mean, at that point in NIA, NAIA D3, I would have been, I would have gone anywhere. Um, but it was when I went out and started playing these perfect game tournaments, some before my senior year and my velocity had shot up a little bit, was able to throw a breaking ball in there for a strike, made a recruiting video. Um, and even then, I mean, there weren't a ton of offers. It was, you know, the University of San Francisco gave me a 25% scholarship to go play there. So it was kind of like a, hey, I'm taking a chance on you. And it was a pitching coach that is actually gone now. He was on, he did, I never even got him as a pitching coach. He, he was the one who really pushed for me and um, gave me that opportunity. My head coach, I, from what I heard, didn't actually want me there. Wow, man, you, you talk about perseverance. You've kind of had some some roadblocks along the way here. So I was going to ask you why you chose San Francisco, but it sounds like because they kind of gave you the 25%, gave you the opportunity, and you said you would have went anywhere. I don't know about anywhere, man. I don't know about all that. But you to, I, I, you're like, I really no, I really do mean that. Anywhere. Swear, man. Hey, look, hey, look. He's not I just got my charter, man. I'm ready. Hey, look, he's not the only one. We've had a couple guests who said, look, you know, I, I immediately think of Houston Harding, who was like, I got this, you know, offer from Itawamba, and I don't even know what that is, but I took it because it was the only place that gave it to me. Yeah. It makes sense. So you get to San Francisco and you make your collegiate debut against Cal State and Northridge on the second day of the 2020 season, throw 1.2 innings, shutout ball, only giving up two hits. Then you make your first career start against UC Davis, throwing five shutout innings, striking out six, three hits allowed, and earned a series-clinching victory at Cal State Fullerton, throwing six innings, striking out eight, only walking one. So we know what the freshman, that your season was cut short by COVID. Um, you kind of went from, you kind of up and down, had a great senior year, but you went through all this. You get over there, head coach doesn't even want you. How did you feel like that shortened season went for you as far as expectations on what you could do? Um, the shortened season, um, was an eye-opener for me just because you know, there's actually one outing on there and, and it won't stand out. Um, but it was the day for me, like my baseball career changed um, it, full 180. It was Cal State Bakersfield. Um, it was Cal State Bakersfield. I come in for an inning on Sunday night. It was, we played a late game Sunday or, you know, it had went late. Um, it was kind of tough because at that point I was relieving on weekends, starting on Tuesdays. Um, and, you know, I'd come in if, if it was a situate close, close game or, you know, not, not a safe situation, but I'd come in closer situations. And so there wasn't one we'd either be blowing them out or they'd be blowing us out. And I come in sitting here waiting all weekend to pitch. And it's like the eighth inning on Sunday, I'm just chomping at the bit, basically like, 
I just want to get in the game. Um, kind of a heated game. You know, our best guy gets hit a couple times. There's some chirping. Our head coach gets ejected. Everyone's just on the fence. And uh, they send me down to the bullpen um, probably in like the sixth or seventh. And I'm sitting there, and I think that, you know, it was probably the hardest balls ever been coming out. I wasn't even thinking. I was just chucking it. And uh, they put me in the game. We're down one on the eighth. And I just – it was the first completely unconscious outing I've ever had. I think, you know, up to that point, I'd maybe been 92, 93 at, at most, sitting about 89, 92, um, you know, mixing in some off-speed. And that, that outing out of nowhere – um, I come in and I just sit 94 to 96 for like nine pitches and, you know, two strikeouts, a weak ground out, and I walk in and uh, didn't even know about the velocity. I knew I maybe hit 95 once some you know, looked over at the board on one strikeout, but I didn't know, you know, the extent of it just felt different. And so we had lost, pissed about it. I walk out of the, uh, walk out of the stadium and, and there's this guy that stops me. Um, this guy stops me and he's like asking for number 22. And I was like, Oh God, I was like, this is, I was like, this isn't going to be good. He's a Bakersfield fan. I'd actually yelled at a couple kids on like, I was just so fired up that there was this kid that called time. Like as I was getting, like, as I was in my motion and he called time and I like, yelled at him to get back in the box. Um, <laughs> sometimes can't control it. And, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was like this kid's dad or uncle. I was like, Oh God. And uh, he pulls me aside and he's like, hey, like, he's like, that was super impressive. You know, I'm a scout with the Rays. Um, what's your name? How old are you? Where are you from? And I was kind of still pissed about the loss. So I didn't even like kind of take it all in, talk to him, you know, walk back to the bus. Um, and his last words was like, hey, like, you know, like crazy, you're a freshman. I you know, can't believe it. Um, you know, going to be following you and, and hopefully give you a lot of money in, in three years. And I was the only sole and only interaction I'd ever had with any pro, you know, scout, any involvement that way, you know, later come to find out he actually was the kid's uncle. <laughs> That's. But he I liked you like, anyway. He, I think he liked the fire. He, he <laughs> said, he said, Eric, you're right. He should have got back, back in, that in the box. box. <laughs> I, I think I, the re the reason why you had this breakthrough moment is because the one there's one guy that wasn't on that bench anymore. The head coach. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone. So. Oh man, there's so much that had gone on. And 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 you know, I never hold anything against anyone. You know, he, he he did what he had to do to win. Um, you know, he knew he knew he knew how to play baseball, he knew how to do it the right way. Just sometimes, you know, we weren't on the same page, um, didn't see eye to eye. But you know, that's that's how things are, and that's how baseball is sometimes. So um you definitely shot. don't hold grudge. I mean, that's that's clear just from the stories that you told the, the high school got cut. You, you're still talking to this cat, man. This I mean, you know, I, I me, I'm vindictive, man. Like, I, I don't I don't talk to Jim to this day. We've been friends for 20 years. I, I still remember in seventh grade. But anyway, we're going to you know, fast er forward. Eric's line in, in the sand is stepping out of the box. You step out yep. of the box. Never talking to you again. Ste no. Step out of the box. They're like the worst thing is. uh if you take a swing and you miss, this actually happened at Alabama. And and I think the kid's a nice guy. Just something sometimes like I can't you know, on the mound, I'm very different. I'm I'm usually very even keel like, off the mound and, and pretty hold, relaxed. Hold but. up, hold up, Eric. 
because because I, I i have a feeling th this is exactly what you're talking about hold on like but razelman able to come back and get the pitch that he wanted and a little woof it as he heads to the dugout as well <laughs> that guy said you were doing some woofing like you, it, the the clip is you just staring this dude down you strike him out which is you know, you, you beat him already and then you just stare him down and like he you just see the defeat like crawling all over this guy. <laughs> you know, I think we had that clip ready for you, did you? I honestly didn't because that wasn't I, I thought you guys were going to do the counting thing. I, I honestly I thought, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll get there because I was there for that. Yeah, I, I figured you would. But uh, no, that one was interesting just because I'd come in and I like thought I threw a pretty good fastball. And this dude swings and misses like completely like just laid on it. And then he like shuffles forward and he like, he moves his head. He's like, Oh, I should have had that. Like he's sitting there like this. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, uh, well, Randy, like Randy, when, when we've talked to any of these guys coming out of the bullpen, especially in the sec, if they didn't have a bulldog mentality, they weren't successful. I mean, I think it's part of it. You got to have it. Oh, for sure. As a pitcher in general, man. I mean, you know, but definitely coming out of the pen. But but I, I want to fast forward just a little bit because we because we haven't heard enough perseverance. March 2020, you have Tommy John surgery. So we're you know, we're no longer in the time where Tommy John is like the end of a career, but you've already had so much happen. So just talk to me about your mental state when that happens. Are you just thinking I gotta get back as soon as I can? Or are you like, damn, another setback? Yeah, so you know, at, at that point. It was actually a week after that Bakersfield outing. You know, that was You're top like my of the first world. scout, and now I got Tommy John. Top of the world hit, you know, saw 95 up there. I was like, oh my God, like things were just as great as they'd ever been. And, you know, we heard about this thing called COVID, and, you know, there's some rumors going, and out of nowhere, I start throwing a bullpen, and, you know, elbows not feeling right. And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, maintenance, whatever. Something's just, it's not there. It'll be fine. Play catch the next day at Cal Berkeley on a Friday night and sail my catch partner right and left by, or up and right by about, I don't know, 30 feet. We're like 90 feet apart. And I just absolutely sail a ball. And uh, I, I knew it like right there, I guess something was just screwed up and uh, you know, let out some choice words, uh, went into the bullpen. I was like, I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I uh, got an MRI the next morning, you know, partially torn, uh, a lot of nerve damage. Um, there was a few things that, need to be, that needed to be done. So, you know, at that point, we weren't sure what we were going to do. The season was still going on. And um, as crazy as it was, we had decided that <laughs> it was going to throw through it. So was going to throw through it. Uh, wanted to finish the season. They, My coaches were telling me that, you know, there was a chance I wouldn't even be back for the next year if I had surgery then. And they really wanted – you know, me to be available and try to throw through it. And I was like, at that point, I just wanted to pitch. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And we, you know, we were about to start like a three, four week rehab program um, to get me back, um, and, you know, in time for conference and they're in time for at least the middle of conference. And uh, we get on the bus, I think maybe two, three days later to go to Pepperdine. Um, I was just going to rehab with my trainer and uh, on the ride there, we get the the text that our season's been canceled. So right when that or bus turned around, you know, we head back day after decided I was going to have surgery um, and planned it, 
got one of the last elective surgeries um, before COVID shut it all down um, and, and went from there. And I think that that Bakersfield outing, you know, that those last couple of weeks surgery, it, it's all where it turned for me where like, I just decided I was going to do literally everything in my power um, to see how far I can get my career to go. Do you think that COVID might've saved your baseball career? What if um, you go out there and pitch through it and really, really do some damage? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to think about what it would have been like had it, had it not been there, which is crazy, um, which is absolutely crazy. But um, it was definitely, a you know, a positive and such a big negative. Um, yeah. And I, you know, just used that period to completely do everything I could for rehab, you know. Um, Speaking of rehab, 10 months, man, 10 months, you're, you're back on the bump, right? Yeah. Uh, poor, poor decision, poor decision. <laughs> um, but like I said, it, it, I wouldn't change a thing. Like the dominoes had to fall in place the exact way that they did. Um, because had I not started at 10 months, had I not had the worst season of my life, um, had things with, you know, my relationship with, with my coach, not, kind of changed the way it did I wouldn't have entered the portal I wouldn't have went down to work with Dave Coggin I would have went and played you know on some summer ball team came back and you know things happened with the University of San Francisco the way they did it would have been a, a different story um you know so I think that coming back in 10 months was brutal I, I wasn't ready um I wanted to get in the game I got everyone's permission I, I pushed hard I was I was a tough customer rehab wise I always wanted to do more get heavier weight um, skip some exercises to like, you know, skip like a part of the part of the rehab sheet to get to the next one, like just see how fast I could do it um, and not sacrifice amount of work, you know, but but use how hard I could work to try to fast track. And it was the wrong decision. And the rest of my body wasn't as healthy as my elbow come season. Yeah. So I want to talk two things on this. How long do you think it took you mentally before you felt normal when you're pitching? And then the second part of this, how long did it feel before physically you felt like you were back? So mentally, like, to where I, I think that I was competitive in a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Confident, really, really it felt like you had it, yeah. Cape Cod, Cape Cod in that summer. Um, there was doubt in my head every single outing I went in San Francisco my sophomore year. I mean – it wasn't just out in my head every single time I tow the rubber on a start that spring. I think everyone in the dugout in our side of the stands, just like put their head in their palm. Like, Oh Jesus, like here it is again. Like here's, here's, here's four walks in the first two innings with three doubles and a home run. And he's out in the third. That's what, you know, that's what that season was. And it just became common practice to me. And I, and I just kept looking for like, okay, when's, when's it going to finally happen? Like, when's it going to be normal again? Like, when am I going to have a good outing? And instead of just, instead of fighting through to, to focus on every pitch, you know, every, every batter, you know, how I want to attack guys, it was just like, I was thinking too big picture, like, oh, like it's just going to click at some point, you know, and it didn't. Um, so Cape Cod was mentally the point, you know, for sure, where I think that I was ready to compete. My stuff was starting to get better. Um, I wasn't thinking about my elbow. Um, but fully recovered, ready to go, you know, like no TJ, anything. I mean, had to be 
maybe even this season. I mean, maybe, maybe it was opening day, opening day felt great and felt like I hadn't ever had surgery. So how long that's two years. I mean, a year and a half. How long is that from surgery day? So two years. And then mentally you kind of talk through that, which was harder. Do you think was it the physical rehab or the mental side of things to get you to where you needed to be this last season? Mental. I mean, it was, it was tough. I mean, it's that season at San Francisco, it brought out sides of me with baseball. I didn't know I had, um, at times, you know, and, and it's hard for me because I, I love the game just about more than anybody. I, I'll do anything for it. Um, there's nothing I love more. Um, and at times that spring, I had a tough time getting out of bed to want to go to the field. Like the, the love of the game was starting to falter a little bit. Um, success, or lack of success was there. You know, relationship with coaches, some teammates was there. It, it was just, it was a lot going on and um, mentally wasn't strong enough to handle it. So was really lucky I got myself out of that hole and the people around me got me out of that hole. Um, again, just been blessed to have the, the best people around me this whole time, family, friends, coaches, mentors. Um, you know, most people don't have great relationships or, you know, they have strictly business relationships with, with their advisor, their agent. For me, uh, he's turned into a complete mentor, um, you know, changed, changed my course of my career. So um, just lucky, you know, and, and having being able to have that was the reason I was able to turn the page. Uh, absolutely. So so one last question. As you're going through all this, you're starting to feel better at the Cape. At what point does LSU come calling and, and what made you choose LSU? Oh, it was the perfect storm. Um, I had my first outing in the Cape it was a relief appearance. I come in after sitting a week after getting out there. Um come in relief in like the fifth inning with bases loaded and one out and like a three, two game, um, come out. I strike those, strike the two guys out without even, like I said, like an unconscious outing. I mean, just something different was there that day. Um, didn't know how hard I was throwing at the time. Found out later is the hardest ever to thrown off speed was there. You know, everything was just the best it had ever been. And, uh, it was that night I got a couple offers when I got back to my house there. The next morning, got a couple more. And then <laughs> I, I tell this story. I've told it to a couple people. I was driving Cade Beloso's car, uh, his rental car. We lived together in the Cape. And uh, we were joking, like, oh, dude, it'd be so funny if I ended up going to LSU. Like, that'd be, that'd be crazy. I was like, hey, maybe, like, Jay, you want to let Jay know? Like, hey, could he, could, he, could he offer me? And he was joking. He's like, ah, yeah, you know, like, you know, it'd be funny. So I'm driving his car to go to the gym my advisor texts me say hey pull over like you better get a couple calls I was like all right so weirdly enough an old travel coach of mine calls me says hey you know my buddy JK uh, just got the job at LSU this morning Um, you know he wanted me to call Uh, he's busy with a lot of stuff you know he wanted me to call see what your interest would be on going there and I like I literally like without thinking I was like "Uh, a good amount of interest a lot of interest (laughs) Yeah, uh, plenty of interest. And uh, he goes, all right, hangs up the phone. 10 seconds later, I got a call from JK. JK is just like, without hesitation, offers me on the spot. And I was like, you, you mean, you got to be kidding me. Like I, the dude on the phone, the dude that I spoke with on the phone was immediately, I, I just knew this guy would be fun to play for. The way the way he was talking about it, um, how personable he was, how relatable he was. Um, you could kind of just tell sometimes and I had a really, really good feeling about it. I asked a lot of people about him that 
everyone that he's, he's coached loves him. Um, you know, uh, 20 minutes later, you get a call from coach Johnson finalizing some things. They, it took me two, three hours and I committed because there was a lot of things that went right. You know, coach Jay, um, and coach Kelly being West coast guys coming to this storied, unbelievable program that, you know, I'd grown up and every time you turn on college baseball, it's purple and gold playing. Um, whether, <laughs> you know, usually I, as a kid, I'd turn it on in June and, you know, that'd be the fun time to watch. It's always purple and gold, you know, watch Bregman, watched all those guys come through the, the history of it. And you have these two West coast coaches, you know, me being, being from out there, knowing how that style of baseball is played a little bit, um, going there, then building, you know, a bit of a new team, adding some guys, um, needing to make some changes. And I was just like, it just felt as right as it could be. Um, and I didn't need to hear another call. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously as the uh, resident LSU fan, I'm going to tell you, you made the absolute right choice, but you know, I got to ask you, you know, I lived out in California for a couple of years and then spent a lot of time in Louisiana and man, that is one heck of a culture shock. So for you going from California, your whole life to Baton Rouge, man, what was that like? It was the best thing ever. I, I would tell anyone this, like that, that place, immediately turned into a second home and, and honestly I never only time only reason I would ever want to go back home was to see the people like I didn't want to go back for California I wanted to go back to see the people but it'd be much better if the people came to Louisiana that's just I loved it I loved it there I wanted to stay I mean as as great of a time as I ever had as incredible as people of people that you would find anywhere um I don't want to even get into the food um but Oh, but we are eventually. Yeah. But, but I tell you what, you should be the head of recruiting for them because, I mean, the, the way you're talking about it, what, what guy doesn't want to go there now? I mean, you just said, I don't want to even go back to California. Like, Baton Rouge is the place. So, I mean, that, that that's just speaking volumes. But, you know, I want to start, man, uh, obviously, diehard fan watching every game. I want to start uh, when I got to see y'all for the first time down at the Shriners Classic. And uh, I got to ask you, man, playing that type of competition, you know, coming from where you were at to now you're at LSU, like you're talking about, and then you're going against this competition in a big league park at Minute Maid, man. What was that like? It was unreal. I mean, we, we walked up through the left field gates or right field gates um, the first time for practice. And there's <laughs> like a wave of phones being taken out for pictures. And I kind of just stood there for a second. I was like, no, like, I just got to check this out. It, it just felt, it felt like, I mean, first, it was my first time in a big league park on a big league field. Um, so seeing that being there, um, knowing that that could possibly, you know, be in the future, if things work out, if, you know, if the work's put in um, biggest motivator for the rest of the season um, going on, it was unbelievable. And, and the competition we played there, you know, to that point was the best I ever played. Um, you know, seeing seeing Texas, UCLA, Baylor, and Oklahoma in the same place was ridiculous. Um, especially, you know, that Texas crowd. I didn't pitch, but that Texas crowd, mm-hmm. that game that we played Texas, I think was the most people I've seen in one stadium. Yeah, the, te- like, the Texas LSU game was absolutely. I actually sent both these guys videos of the crowd kind of going back and forth. I mean, that that was electric. Unreal, unreal. But, you know, Randy's a Tennessee fan, so he kind of hates that you didn't mention Tennessee was there, I bet. I mean, he's kind of hurting inside a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, we don't want to talk about the LSU versus Tennessee series or nothing. Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, no, he wasn't there for that, so it's okay. I know, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I got you. But, you know, talking about just these uh, electric atmospheres, so, you know, you go from there to playing at Alex Box, which, you know, um, like you've talked about the h- history of LSU, and, you know, it's up there as one of the top places to play in the country. You know, what's it like pitching in front of the LSU faithful the first time you get to do it? Oh, it's just electric. I mean, it's just electric. You know, people talk about like the actual pitching in game and, you know, the adrenaline you get. Some of the craziest memories I have are being in the bullpen and talking to the fans. I I, I have a couple fans. Um, I, I have a couple like fans to memory that um, just diehard LSU fans and they would be in the same spot in the bullpen every time. And I'd get a little tap on my shoulder as I'm about to get about to get to warm it up, just kind of like, a, "Hey, we're here!" Like every time, you have a have a conversation with them, um, you know, like just things that you don't get at other places. Like it's like these these people they they live and breathe LSU baseball. Like for for them, it's it's what they look forward to for every weekend, and and seeing fans like that, seeing like seeing Tiger fans like that, just in the same spot every weekend in the bullpen, bringing their grandkids, bringing their kids, bringing their nieces, nephews, someone different every game. That's what I'm going to remember the most. Um, you know, it's like knowing, knowing a lot of them by name, um, still getting, you know, still talking through DMS with a ton, like guys reaching out in Louisiana, with TJ rehabs, they want some advice for it. it, it there's so much um, that you just can't take for granted. You just can't take for granted. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt. So let's get into some like performances, man, you know, starting with March 15th versus Tulane, you get your first win, six strikeouts in just two and a third inning, you know, talk about that game. I mean, obviously, you know, your first win, so that means something, but obviously, like I said, six strikeouts in just two and a third, like, I mean, talk to us about what's going on. Cause obviously you were feeling good. Yeah, no, I remember that game real clear. Um, it, it, and it was one that at first seemed like a, a you know, I'm going to give credit to, to coach Johnson a lot. He's really, really good at knowing who to put in at certain times. I mean, he, he ran our pen so well, him and coach, him and coach Kelly, we're on such a, you know, such a good page of knowing that. And at the time, you know, it, it, I think it was maybe a three, four, five run lead. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, and I was able to go in, had good stuff that day, was rolling. They knew exactly how much to let me roll, um, knew who to put in next. And, and you, you look at the end score of that game and it's a closer game than people think. So th- there's a lot of games throughout the season where, you know, he puts in this guy or this guy or Paul comes in in the second or Coop comes in in the fourth and you're like, well, why, why are they coming in at this time? And, and then you see like this five run lead at the end of the game, we win by one, you know, it's like they did it so well that it was easy to easy to have, you know, trust in them on when we're in throwing the best we can throw in that outing, recovering for the next one, trusting the next guy that comes in, they made it a perfect system. Um, so, you know, I remember that day well, and, being able to go in there, have a good few innings, letting the rest of the guys roll and, and get a closer win than we thought we'd get, you know, on a Tuesday. Um, just it piled up throughout the season. It helped us a lot. 
Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you definitely can't take that for granted when the when the coaching does it right. And those midweek games, hey, we talk about it all the time on this show. You know, people always just try to write off midweek games and things can be tricky, especially Tulane. Tulane ain't a bad a bad team by no by no means. But you know, we're gonna get to the to the toe tapping and the counting because I was there uh, at Duty Noble in Starkville on Friday night when you came in the game and it was so funny because those fans were counting. I man, I actually seen you get to the highest count that I've ever seen. I think at one point you got to like seven or eight. Like in the the fans, what they didn't know at the time that you know I would see from you later was you were feeding off that um, because you came in there and you threw a flawless inning. And then when the game was over, you know, thirteen thousand people thought they were getting to you. I'm standing there with George Cruz, and I watch you come over. I don't know if it was if it was your parents who, you know, who, but you came over and you talked to somebody, and they and they'd asked you about it, and you said it absolutely was getting you jacked up the count. Like the more they did it, the more amps you were getting. Like is that is that the case? Like I mean, the the, the louder and the more they did it, you were just getting more fired up. Absolutely, that day was. I mean, I was. I was loving it. The, the second I started hearing it, I, I heard it probably on the third or fourth time. I didn't hear it at first. I wasn't paying attention. It was loud, but I wasn't paying attention. As I started hearing it, I stepped off one time and I, and I actually just laughed into my glove a little bit. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when they booed you when you only did like two? Like if you didn't anytime, get a high count, they were upset. Anytime I did less than three, it would just be boos. And so but the best part of it was the next day, um, and I told the guys and everyone was on me about it was like, dude, you got to get up there. You got to get up there. I was like, I'm only going to get up there if it's a comfortable situation. You know, if I'm, a, if, I, if, I, if I feel like I'm in control, um, it's got to work. It's got to work out. And so it worked out. I come in and, um, I was facing Brad Combest and, uh, I had like, Oh, two on him. And I went two heaters. I went Oh, two. And they, by the time it was two strikes, they were really chanting. And they loved it and they were just super jacked up about it. And so I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it. But I knew that if I did it and I screwed up, I was going to get a lot of flack for it. So I was like, if I do it, I have to execute this pitch. So I did it. I went up to like eight or nine. And uh, <laughs> on the last one, I was like, all right, I can't tap again. I'm going to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> I get to the end and I just I put everything I had on that pitch and I struck him out and the best part of it and like what I thought was the funniest thing was they were cheering as he struck out that is awesome I hate that I missed that because the only reason I only went to Friday night was my daughter had a soccer tournament in St. Louis I actually drove through the night area that's how much committed I was to wanting to see that Mississippi State LSU game on Friday night was I drove all the way to St. Louis through the next day to go watch my daughter's soccer tournament but I had no I didn't even know that story about the next day game so I hate that I missed that it was it was it was cool but you saw the right one I mean that comeback in that ninth was unreal I mean Dylan is my dude who's dude is he not and so you know obviously he's not the one that tied it up he put the go-ahead but that go-ahead bomb and I got to tell you, because we have a lot of Mississippi State guests, and I and I get my tickets from Mississippi State's players' parents. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm standing between uh, Cameron James and Luke Hancock's dad as Dylan hits that home run. And I can't show any emotion. And then my phone starts buzzing, and I look, and George Cruz is like, where are you at? Get over here. And I'm like, hey, boys, I got to go. <laughs> it's like I couldn't even celebrate it. Unreal. No, it was it was crazy. And uh, I'm actually so I mean, I'm playing with Jackson Fristo now. Um, 
And uh, he was he was the one in during that. He's the one that that um, had gave it up. And <laughs> we were going back and forth on on the strike call to Travinsky, the three two, uh, the three two walk. And he was like, dude, it was there. And I was like, honestly, it might have been there. You <laughs> 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 didn't get it. And things happened the way they did. But he he's going to he's going to die on that on that hill saying that uh, that three two pitch was a strike to, to Travinsky that started the whole thing. Hey, got to go with what they do. And they it, it, it worked. It worked. It worked out in our favor. DB hasn't pitched in like, you know, 15, 16 years. And I bet you he could still point to a game where he thinks the same thing. Yep, we all could. More than one. I, and I love Fristo. Fristo's about a straight shooter as they come, man. And I tell you what, that that guy on the bump, uh, man, uh, he can when he gets dialed in. You know, you pitch with him. Like the fact that y'all are on the same team, way hey, it's gonna get nasty. But uh, you know, obviously, we know that y'all had the potential as a team um, to go to Omaha. I thought y'all were more than talented enough, um, but. You know, I could be a little biased as an LSU fan. I think these guys even though agreed with me. Um, but, you know, it, it fell short in Hattiesburg. And, you know, the only reason I want to bring it up is because, you know, y'all obviously took care of business the first couple games. But in the second two games, and being that you're somebody who's been a straight shooter and a pitcher, um, you know, it felt like the pitching across the board struggled. I know there was fatigue. I know there was heat. Because I honestly felt like – there was more of a struggle on y'all than it was um, Southern Miss was doing right. Because I, I really didn't, you know, not to be a hater, I didn't really feel like Southern Miss was as, as good as they were made out to be. I felt like it was just more of a struggle on LSU. And would I, would I be right about that, Eric? Um, here's what I'll tell you. I think they had the best pitching staff in the country. Um, I think that no one pitched the way they did. Um, I, I think that you're right, more so on the hitting side. I think that, that we could have dominated that lineup um, better than we did. Um, but, but I don't want to say it was for any reason. I don't want to say that guys were tired guys. There was none of that. Everyone was competing as well as they know how to compete. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. And at times it doesn't go your way for more than one guy. And when those weekends hit and when those games hit, um, you, you know, the dominoes don't, don't and, fall. And that's why, and that's why I asked because, you know, I didn't know what it was because, you know, it's one thing for one guy to struggle, but I mean, if I'm being open and honest with you, you know, you struggled, Paul struggled, Coop struggled. Like, I mean, you know, those two games, it really felt like nobody could get in a groove and it was just, it was the wildest thing because the bullpen had been y'all strength all year and it just felt like nobody could really catch a groove. And so, like I said, I, you know, it wasn't to make excuses, but it just felt like, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it was fatigue or heat. And like you said, just maybe it wasn't, you know, y'all's weekend, but, or those two days. Um, but I honestly, you know, like I said, no bias. I felt like y'all were the better team. It just, it was an unfortunate way it fell down. I agree. Absolutely agree. I think that we all wish we could have shown more. I think that the team was talented enough, not just to get there, but to win it. I mean, we were only gaining steam and, and, and a win like that uh, in a situation like that would have, would have put us over. Um, I, I think we had a lot more in the tank and, and it was a shame. It's why you see, you see tears on every guy's face um, with the cameras after the game. It's not, it's not fake. We're not sitting there, you know, yeah. just trying to put on a show. It, it's as emotional as it gets. Cause I mean, every guy put in everything he could um, to get you there. The guys that didn't play as much as they should have, sometimes feel it more you know like everyone everyone gave all they had 
um, sacrificed a ton, um, you know, and, and that goes with us, it goes with the coaches. So yeah, it was a tough, very, very tough um, way to end the season. And, and I mean, it's not like we were okay with it, you know, <laughs> a day after a week after we still talk about it um, bitter, but you know, the one thing that kind of eased my mind a little bit was just seeing how fired up and driven Jay was and those young guys are um, and the guys that he's bringing in and the pro the direction of the program um, the way that it's going. I mean, I'm excited to watch it as a fan. Um, have you almost. seen them? Have you seen the memes of, of Jay, the the transfer portal king? Have you seen all those? And, and they're all true because the, the, he's he's so good at what he does. And the crazy thing is, is just as much as he's good at what he does, is he cares about his players, and and that's why I respect him more than more than anyone. I, I think that he does it the right way. He goes about it the right way. He tells the truth to all his guys. Everyone knows what to expect. He tells you how to get better. He tells you how to get in the lineup. Doesn't give it to you. Um, he plays the best guys. And when you have a coach that puts it that simply, gives you the keys, you know, allows you, allows the, you know, your career to be in your hands and gives you every, you know, resource, ability, assistant coaches. I mean, they're all on the same page. And I think that that being the case, the, the program said in an unbelievable direction. I mean, LSU got their guy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, my boy Randy over there, he did not think Tommy White was coming to us, and then he did not think Paul Skinness was coming to us. And there they are, both of them, along with a whole bunch of other cats. Go ahead and admit yep. it, Randy. I did not ever say anything about Paul Skinness because that was the quietest transfer recruitment I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. But hey, man, I'm glad I'm look, I'm not an LSU hater, man. I, I'll root for you. No, guys. we're actually we're actually going back and forth because you know how bad it is to be ranked number one, uh, Eric. So, you know, me and Randy were asked to do with D1 and, and a bunch of other groups to do our two early preseason rankings. And he put LSU at one and I put Tennessee at one because we we know how it is with that number one ranking. It seems to be some bad luck. So I said, I don't want I don't want nothing to do with it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in any of that. I, you know, what? I don't either, man. Let's go. You do too. Put LSU Randy. number one. Then, then Randy, why since 1999 has the team that's been ranked number one going into the postseason not won it? Oh, I don't believe in that curse. I just think it's. I, I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in all that so stuff. You don't but think, I will say I'm this right here with Eric. Right here, you're not going to tell me you didn't think that Tennessee was the best team in baseball. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the curse, though. They <laughs> ran into a team that was a bunch of full-grown men that beat their ass. I mean, it is what it is. Hey, and, I, and he had – hey, look, I gave him all the right questions, Eric, when we had Jack Brannigan from Notre Dame on. Randy's Eric, still custody. Eric, let me tell you something, man. What do you think about this, man? So, I've been a Tennessee fan. I've been a college baseball fan for as long as I can remember. And I've gone through a lot of lean years with Tennessee. So, they're doing good. They get beat by Notre Dame, which I said before the series, that's the only team I didn't want to play. And then, like, the week after Jim brings Jack Brannigan on to talk, I got to talk to this cat face-to-face? -face? <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? I do hold grudges. And then you hated it because he was the nicest guy ever. That's so nice. And then he told me, like, hey, man, Tennessee was the best team in the country. And I'm like, don't you patronize me, Jack. <laughs> but I take, do got a question. Take emotion out of it. Take emotion out of it. But I do got a question for you talking about the, you know, the team that won it all, you know, like – Yo, I was at that series, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, in Baton Rouge against uh, Ole Miss, and obviously that that weekend did not go well. But 
you know, we talk about you playing Southern Miss and then you see what Ole Miss did to Southern Miss. Were you even surprised because of what you had seen from Ole Miss when you played them? I'll tell you what. When I saw Ole Miss get in in the selection show and I saw those guys go nuts because they knew that they had a 50-50 shot of getting in, I knew that it was either – I thought either we were going to win it or I thought they were going to win it. And I thought if it was going to be us and them, I thought we were going to win it. You know, I, like, I, I had us winning it. Yeah, I really didn't see a way around that. And I think you ask any guy on our team and, and they'll say the same. But the second we were out of it, I was just paying attention. I saw the way they were playing. I was like, this team's not going to lose. And, and what baffled me was the way that their season was going after seeing the way they played us. That was the best team I've pitched against all year. Those guys, those guys took the best swings. And granted, it wasn't a very much of a secret this year. Um, the catcher put down a one and I threw it. So, I mean, it, 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 we got, they knew what I was throwing. It was pretty straightforward, but it seemed like the best, the team with the best plan of attack was Ole Miss. And I gave that to him after I pitched to him. I, I thought that, thought that was a really, really well, well-planned offensive team, extremely talented, veteran-led, and, you know, seeing the way that they went through it, I, I was super happy for them. I, th I thought that uh, they deserved it. Those guys worked hard. They stayed, stayed with it. You know, it wasn't a perfect, you know, undefeated season, not, not even close. So seeing teams go through it like that and win it, it, it's super rewarding and it's fun to watch. It definitely solidified the statement. It's not how you start, but how you finish for sure. Yeah. But, you know, so season ends, obviously not how you want it, but the draft is on deck. Um, you know, were you pretty confident by conversations that you were having that you were going to be drafted in the position you were in, or was there a good chance that you might be coming back to LSU? Because, you know, a lot of guys have a lot of good info on knowing what their future holds, and some guys have a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I, I kept both options open. I mean, I, I, I knew that we were heading a really good direction, especially with West coming in. I think, unbelievable. I mean, you get the acting twins pitching coach and, and, and that turns heads. It turned mine for sure. I mean, it, it was, it was crazy that the, the way that coach Johnson was going about it in the off season. And I knew that, you know, if things didn't work out, I'd be super open to coming back um, because it, I explained to people this way, it's two plan A's. It's, it's not a plan A plan B. It's like, yeah, two plan A's. One thing happens, you do it. If it doesn't, the other one's open. So that's the way that I was thinking about it. Um, you know, I didn't exactly like the position I was in draft wise, just, um, I think I had more to show. I needed to show my off speed a little more. So I went out to the Cape and I made two starts. Um, and I think that that, that helped me a lot, um, in terms of showing that, that I'm, you know, more than just uh, a one pitch guy, I was able to, you know, go to, uh, two, five, six inning starts, um, and be able to throw my off speed and um, mix everything equally and, you know, show I was able to do that and the draft followed and things worked out. So um, obviously extremely grateful. It's been the one dream I've had since I was a kid. Um, so being in the position that I'm in, um, like I said, it, it worked out, but it was definitely, definitely open to, to coming back and, and playing another year with the boys. Yeah, no doubt. And so with that, you know, obviously, for those who don't know, you were drafted fifth round, 160th pick by the New York Yankees. Um, you know, so my question is, you know, where were you when you when this all went down and what did it feel like to be drafted by such a historic franchise like the Yankees? Sure. Um, was uh, 
went to uh, one of the old pizza places um, that we used to have all our family parties at and uh, a lot of memories as a kid. So we went there, got a table, hooked up the phone to the TV um, and we were just watching it. There's my family and just probably five, six of my closest friends and sitting watching it there. Um, it happened on day two and I mean, it was a crazy kind of few hours, day or two leading up. And I, more than that, I was just happy, happy it was over. I was happy, you know, I, I had the team I was with um, that, that took a chance on me and um, gave me the opportunity to, you know, to live out the only dream I've had. Um, you were mad it wasn't Oakland, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously. What was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, my buddy was sitting there with his A's hat, green and gold sweatshirt i think he had like a's stance socks i mean he's sitting there like hoping and praying every time the ace pick came around his ears were just like this you know i mean um didn't work out though and uh he needed something good to happen to his team man <laughs> <laughs> look hey eric ain't gonna stay there for long because they're not gonna pay him if he does well so <laughs> no but so yeah so Eric, for those that don't know, they don't realize like the, the quick transition. You get drafted. Do you immediately you you go to the the next training destination? Where are you now? So I'm in Tampa. In Tampa, um, oh, that's DB. where our development complex is. So um, in Tampa, I actually I'm moving to Tampa, so I'm going to be here in the off season as well. I'm going to stay uh, working at the facility here. Um, you know, really excited. Uh, the development's been unreal. I, I got on a plane two days after the draft. Uh, they they got us out there and we've been working since um so it, it, it's it's a lot and it's a big change and there's a lot it's a lot different you know a lot different than, than college ball a lot different than what i've been used to in the past um it's baseball 24 7 uh, six days a week this past week was seven days so it, it's a lot of baseball um and it's exactly what i signed up for and and i love it every day so um really 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 ecstatic being being here absolutely i was gonna say for anybody just from listening to this interview that seven days a week for baseball sounds like heaven for you but so i see you got some starts under your belt obviously coming out of relief in college you got some starts under your belt is the goal for you to become a starting pitcher or are you just going to get in where you fit in i think we're uh i think we're going to explore both both uh both roads here i, I you know i i'm not exactly sure which uh which it's going to end up as but i think you know we talked about both i think it's going to be a, a deeper conversation to have right now just kind of starting to get ready for a couple one inning outings and go from there um but it, you know definitely open to both uh, i love starting i love relieving um definitely two different jobs but equally as fun definitely so last question before i get you over to db when is uh your next start do you know uh yeah so i think i'll throw friday db you got something to do friday man yeah because db's in tampa bay no excuses no way yeah man yeah what uh what's it like you you guys get fans can is it open to the public You get more than the a's do i'm not i'm not exactly sure how open it is it's actually the florida complex league so the the guys that are just getting some innings to start off here where it's technically the rookie ball level um, so we're throwing at the complexes, uh, playoff actually start Friday. Um, so that'll be real interesting. Um, but it's the FCL Yankees and I think we got 
We have the Blue Jays today. I think we have the Blue Jays tomorrow. I'm not sure where we go Friday. It'll be a playoff game, though. Nice, nice. Well, let's uh, we'll we'll connect over social media when we're done here. We'll we'll try to figure something out. Yeah. Uh, if if not this time, if you're if you're planning on staying, I'll definitely come check you out for sure. Absolutely. Well, Eric, man, let's uh, the hard part's over with. Let's have some fun, man. We're gonna play a quick game called This or That. You down to play? <laughs> let's do it. All right. It's very simple. I give you two options. All you gotta do is pick one option or the other. Can't say both. Can't say neither. Got to be decisive and pick one. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Lay up, lay up uh, softball question to start us off. Better weather, fall or spring? Spring. Yeah, baseball season rolls around around spring. It's got to be, got to be legit. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. In Tampa, fall and spring are the best. Best time. Same, best same time thing, isn't it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh Food. I think you hit on this already. <laughs> Who has better food, Cali or Louisiana? Louisiana. I don't even need to think. I need to know what your favorite dish is, though. A pasalaya. Ah, uh, there you go. What? Yeah. We once if had you... the Cajun Ninja on this show, Eric, and uh, he <laughs> and Daniel asked him for some recipes, and he wouldn't give them to him. He kept them. He kept them close yeah. to the vest. Pow. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 wasn't giving no secrets away. Hmm. So I got to ask then if, if you're going back to Cali, then what would you eat? If I was to go back to Cali, I mean, the seafood's good. Sushi with sushi is good. Fresh fish is good. All right. All right. They still throwing fish at the markets down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Would you rather have no company or bad company? Rather be surrounded by some bad folks or just be by yourself? No company. If you could choose any concert or any sporting event, what, what would you choose? Oh, would it be a concert or would it be a sporting event? Let's start there. I've been to two concerts and I really want to see a third. I'm going to go with a concert. Love music. All right. What, who, who are you going to see? I mean, I saw Morgan Wallen and Luke Combs. Um, together, which was a Solid. fantastic concert. Um, I've heard Kenny Chesney concerts are really fun, so I, I they're I awesome. People. I've been to like it's six like, of them, and it's like a seven to one woman to uh, guy ratio, so that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, that's true, but I've been to Morgan Wallen, and it's kind of like that too. A little so, bit. So let me ask you this, Eric: What when you get in the car? What, what's what's on your playlist? What what? What comes on as soon as you turn the car on? Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it's it's all it's all country. It's all, all country. West Coast guy, you know, it's this throws me because Jacob Gonzalez from Ole Miss did this the same. You know, West Coast guy, and then he says all he listens to is country. I was so thrown. It's it's yeah. I don't I don't know what it is. It's actually been since I was in high school, but I mean, it it's all country. Favorite country artist not named Morgan Wallen. Favorite country artist not named Morgan Wallen. Yeah, I gotta figure out what it is. Are you like like the new the new country like the poppy you're kind this of or, like this or that has became a country music like session. Yeah. Like. They hate it's, country music, so I'm in, I'm intrigued here, Eric. It's it's a little bit of both. I really like the Cadillac Three. Okay. Uh, I really like the Cadillac Three. I mean. 
there's a there's a Canadian band actually, which is pretty interesting. Country, but Canadian, interesting type music. Uh, it's High Valley. I've never heard of them. I'll look it up. They're yeah, really really good. Um, and I mean, on top, of, I mean, Luke Combs. I mean, I love Luke Combs. So it, it's a bit of like I would say it's a bit of uh, a bit you got of some range here. Yeah. Daniel, yeah. I feel like if we're going to continue this show, we're going to have to invest some time in the country because Randy has all these discussions and we don't know what's going on. Let me say something about this, though. So so I I like Morgan Wallen. I really like – I know all the songs. I can say them all. But let me tell you what this is. I have a 13-year-old. She plays travel softball. We're all around the country, right? As soon as we get in the car, that's all I hear is Morgan Wallen. I, I'm, I'm getting Morgan fatigue. <laughs> it happens. It happens. She get in my car this morning. It's 6.15 in the morning. She takes my phone. And turns on Morgan Wallen. I'm like, I mean, can we just have like a conversation? She's like, no. <laughs> I want y'all sit back and listen to the sweet sounds of High Valley. How you went found it? No, you gotta grew up on that. Grew up on that. Grew up, grew on, up that. on that. That's the, that's the jam, huh? It's a great song. It's a great song. All right, I want y'all to just just picture this. Eric's in his car, man. Flips some windows down, turns us on. Driving down Dale Mabry, you know, it's hits every traffic light on the way there. Sees the Bucks Stadium, pulls right on Himes, pulls into the parking lot. He's there, ready to do his thing, man. Randy, you see what you did? Daniel has never done anything like that. You start a whole country music thing, and he actually plays it during the episode. This I was intrigued. Excellent Can- content. C- Canadian country. I-, I had I had to hear it. So I didn't hear any I- A's I- or anything in there. No. I had a Canadian teammate back at USF that put me on that band, and I've been listening to him since. So solid, solid. Uh, it's I- I've heard worse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of worse, what, what is the worst and hardest place to play? Like if you looked at this and you were like, damn, we got to go there. Would it be to go to, go to Arkansas and play in Baumwalker or go to Mississippi state and play in duty noble? I'm, I'm a bit biased on this one. Um, just cause Mississippi state was my favorite energy to play in all year. So I'm going to say Arkansas. I, I'm not a big fan of those fans. I, I can, think I they're see that. Most people a little, are. a little, a little less classy. I feel like than 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 the Mississippi State fans there. I, I we heard a lot of stuff from from right above our dugout that that shouldn't be said. So the know, Mississippi I, State gonna, people feed the opposing players. I mean, they just I just don't want to like them, but sometimes they kind of make me. They, actually, they, super classy, super classy. They yeah, suck. Hey. They suck you in. They're like, "Hey, yeah. I'm gonna make fun of your ass, but here's here's a hamburger." And, and that, <laughs> and that, and that was and that was why Eric, when we had the Arkansas pitchers on, and they were talking about how nasty they were at Texas A&M, we kind of we didn't say it, but we were kind of thinking karma. You know, it's kind of out there. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It's not the players' fault. I mean, it's just like, hey, like some of those fans said some things shouldn't be said. That's all I remember. So, well, let me ask you this. And and you're you're a straight shooter. Like I, I think I know the answer to this. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No, it's not a sandwich. Thank you, thank you. You're, 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 you're yeah. No, you're, no. And there's a reason. This question had been retired, Eric. I would have stood firm with you, but it's because I went to Minute Maid Park, where they sold 
a hot dog sandwich. I ate a hot dog sandwich while watching you play. And so now I'm convinced that it is one. These once you slice it. it, once you slice it, it's not, a, it's no longer. And a hot no, dog. it doesn't matter. It was two no, hot, hot dogs dog. split in half, cut across toast, dude. I'm telling you. Once you I split thought, it, it's not a hot dog anymore. Look, dude, that what you showed me was a poor man's version of a hot pocket. <laughs> you told this me I made not. that at home. You told me I wasn't even at Minute Maid Park. <laughs> I, I think it's you did. Not. It's not a sandwich. It's the same thing with the whole is water wet thing. I can't do that stuff. Like, just, just stop asking dumb questions. All right, hey. Daniel, you might as well. We're, you might, we're you not might asking it ever again. That's Daniel, it. You, no, 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 no. I'm tired for good. I like I liked that you asked it because you expected the right answer. Look, Absolutely. Daniel. Let, well, let's two of us did. Daniel, since it's not on there, why don't you just go ahead and ask them about the mayo and coffee? Let's get there. That's oh, that's God. fucking that's disgusting. Just, <laughs> that's just so. Look, I like, did it. I did it. And I thought it was fantastic. Like, okay, uh, first of all, Eric, can I can I can I can I be real with you right now? The guy, do you drink coffee, Eric? I love coffee. Okay, me too. I drink coffee every single morning. Right? Jim hates coffee, and then not only that, he's sacrilegious. He puts mayonnaise in his coffee because some freaking douchebag up in Kentucky does it. You know what I mean? What are we doing here? <laughs> the banana tastes better with the peel on too. Let's just, I mean, let's just keep going. That's not true. You're you're the type of Jim, guy that that Jim, before you on that. Before you before you ask anyone to be on this podcast, then you got to say a fair warning in the text beforehand and say, hey, you know, I, I please I put be on this podcast. In my it'd be uh be great to have you, but uh just just so you know, before I ask you any questions, um, I put mayo in my coffee and. Bananas taste better with the peel on. So if you're still good with it, here's the thing. Hey, look, I, no, I'm always open to a good challenge. And when Will from Kentucky did that, but you know what? You you'll still like me better because I'm there supporting you at the games. I ain't gonna tell you all the bad things Randy said about LSU. So never. On. I, I'll tell you anything I've ever said, Eric, and I've never said a bad word about you, sir. Uh, after the LSU Tennessee series where y'all eliminated us, no, 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 no. I didn't say nothing bad. No, no, no. Because all I said was there was a whole lot of chirping going on. Until all of a sudden ESPN decided to just you're lucky focus, Eric freeze frame he freeze framed on Paul Maneri and he was crying. They shouldn't have done the man like that. They shouldn't have done him like that. <laughs> Anyways, they got a new. It's a new blood in town, baby. Yeah. It's the transfer portal king. It's hey, a this, new age. This is a perfect transition into Daniel's next question. Yeah. That's all we did was I mean, set it I mean it's you know it, it's heroes versus villains. I mean. Somebody's got to be the hero. Somebody's got to be the villain. Eric, I'll ask you if you could pick to be one of those. Are you the hero or are you the villain? I feel like I mean it's a pretty straightforward question. I'd be the hero. I mean, not, I really don't know who would say the villain. A lot, a lot who, of people. Who who is your favorite superhero? Um, I'm a. I always love the Flash. I thought that was the coolest thing. As a matter of fact, is he not the first closer or bullpen guy that said hero? Usually those guys want that villain role. No. I, like the, I like your answer. I, we haven't heard that one. The I, Flash, I like yeah. That. It's usually, but you always try to like talk everybody into Batman, also. Well, because he's a great superhero. I mean, that's but, a, I mean, it's fine. That is the superhero, <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> look, it, it's fine. like we, we talk about guys out the bullpen. Brady Tiger gonna get deep and talk about. Well, Superman had parents and Batman didn't. It was like, whoa, like you just took that to a whole nother level, bro. Yeah. No. Pretty, pretty straightforward there. Yeah. All right, Eric, man. Last question. We'll let you bounce. Would you rather have massive success on accident or modest success on purpose? Modest success on purpose. I don't think that um I don't think I'd feel as comfortable um celebrating the fruits of that. 
um, if, if I didn't work for it. Eric, let me ask you this in another, another way. If I was to say, I'm going to give you $100 million or you can earn $20 million, which one are you going to take? <laughs> I thought this was, I thought this was a baseball question. <laughs> it is. I'm yeah, I'm going to give you a hundred or you can earn 20. I'm going to be annoying here. I'm going to be real annoying. All right. Are you going to lie to be, us? I'm going to be that guy. What am I doing to earn the $20 million? Playing baseball. Playing baseball, playing baseball but I get a hundred million if I don't play baseball. Lottery. Lottery, hundred million, baseball, 20 million. That's right. Baseball, 20 million. Well, I'm going to take the hundred million. I'm going to have 80 more mo- million more fucking dollars in there. And I don't think that you want that because I'm going to blow it. I'll probably die. Strippers, cocaine. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's I'm not going to put mayonnaise in my coffee. Nope. Not doing it. That's the but, biggest family man ever, Eric. He's so full of crap. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, though. I, I So I was like you. I was always like, no, I'm going to earn it. I want to earn it. And then I was listening to a podcast that didn't talk about hot dogs and sandwiches. And they were like, I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to give you $100 million or you earn 20 And the guy, Ryan Steumann was his name. He's like, I'm going to earn the 20 And the guy goes, okay, well, now I got $80 more million than you. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, give me the 100 He's like, no, you made your choice. <laughs> but I, I respect your answer. I just don't think that it's – that's probably you, for people You better actually than me. said the same answer as everybody, Eric. Don't let it, don't let it make you feel bad. If, if, if Everybody uh, does. If it was anything other than – like if you said I would have been like a freaking investment banker, banker or something, I would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the $300 million. But you said baseball, and it's yeah, like – I think we should have probably worded that better. I think yeah. take your sport out of it, and then you just get two options. You get to earn $20 million doing can't whatever you want to do. It's it's made or, or you get tw- or you get a hundred. Take uh. the take the eighty mil, Eric. Don't don't let pride get in the way. Just, yeah, just take pride. it and giving it to. You. Now, Eric, man, it, it's been a blast, dude. Anything you want to plug or promote? Social media, how we can follow you. What what, what you want to throw out there? Oh, nothing really. I mean, my everything's out there. Social's out there. It's first and last name, but you know, not not too big on that. So. Not trying to promote anything, just glad y'all brought me here. I had a great time. Yeah, man. Absolutely. We're gonna we're definitely gonna plan to have you back. We'll let you, you know, get the the summer through. We'll let you get, you know, the fall and maybe before the spring heats up, we might bring you back on and, and chat a little bit about, you know, life in Tampa, the Yankees and, and all, all things baseball. How's that sound? Absolutely. Sounds great, fellas. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. If you need anything, reach out to us. Let us know, Eric. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Eric Razelman. And we're going to take a break. We're going to plug some sponsors when we come back. We've got some headlines. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Q is your guy. Quintavious Burdett, who was once a guest of In Off the Bench, and Ole Miss alumni, who is with REMAX, is the guy who will help you get your home He is the guy who just helped me get my home. I just closed on my house a few weeks ago in the South Haven area, and Quintavious is the one who set the whole thing up. He is the man. He is one of the top, if not the top, realtor in the Mid-South area. You can get a hold of him at 662-292-7136 for all your real estate needs. 
Have you struggled with weight loss, pain management? Maybe you just lack in energy? I struggled with all these things. And then I got introduced to Truvy, an official sponsor of In Off The Bench. If you download the Truvy app, T-R-U-V-Y, and use the official In Off The Bench code, Easy Money, you can save money and get hooked up today and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off The Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you. Leading off, we got Major League Baseball and the Cardinals. They're big winners. They've won eight in a row, nine of their last ten. Five-game lead on the Brewers. Pujols hits another home run. He's killing it. They're killing it. Randy, I'll start with you. What's the feeling on the Cardinals? Are they going to hold hold tight here? Are they going to lose some ground? What's the case? Oh, man, we're running off on them boys. So what's really been the uh, most pleasant surprise is the offensive, other than tonight, the one nothing. Albert Pujols, thank you for saving us. Mr. 700, we're going to call you soon, sir. But, no, they're going to run off. And I think, too, you're seeing that the Brewers, you know, they've, they're, what, four and six in their last ten. Cardinals are, are really – they're really doing their thing, man. So, I mean, the, the win tonight, you got to eke one out. So, the offensive explosion we saw against the Diamondbacks didn't happen. But you get a win over the rival Cubs. We'll take those any day of the week. Plus 112 in run differential. Pitching staff looks great. DB, we talked about it before. Jordan Montgomery might go down as the best trade that we've ever made midseason. Yeah, he – he was a guy that, you know, coming from New York, you didn't have a whole lot on. And now all of a sudden it's like he's in most valuable player as of, as of the trade deadline up until today. Him and Pujols are pretty much like doing big things. So, and Jim, Nolan Arenado. Yeah. I mean, we got the MVP. I mean, I, I think are, are we in – in agreement that that race is over, Goldie's that's lock, stock, barreled. He's batting, yeah. yeah, he's batting three thirty-seven. Like I mean, and I think the thing that that's the best, you know, you talk about Montgomery, and we talk about things that the Cardinals did. You know, a lot of people lost their mind when we got rid of Bader, right? In general, but when you look at what Cross and a new bar are doing out there, like. Like, man, they're getting it done. Like, it's obviously Goldsmith and Arenado are putting up the big numbers that everybody's seeing. But, I mean, Randy, how many nights you look up Newbar, man? He's getting it done. Like, you know what I'm saying? Carlson, Gorman, like these other guys. It's not just two cats carrying the whole team offensively. Well, and I think, too, if you really look at it, I think the reason people lost their mind with Bader was just like he was a fan favorite because it couldn't have been production. Let's just be honest. I, I've said this for the last three years. The guy – Batting average is super low. He's an above-average defender, always kind of getting hurt. I, I wasn't sad about that trade. I, I do like Harrison Bader, but, I mean, it worked out well. For, and we needed pitching so bad. The only thing now, and this isn't a slight on your guy, but we got to get T.O. Neal doing something, Jim. What's up with our boy? Uh, he's feast of famine. You know that. And, I mean, and if you, you've seen, he's been – this lineup has kind of been shifted a little bit. Even through their winning, you've seen guys in and out of the lineup – changing you know Tommy Edmond for instance tonight batted lead off he was batting last in the order you know guys have been shifting around O'Neal was you know originally batting um you know in that three four hole and then now he's back there you know see six there's one game I watched he was all the way back at eight so like I mean these guys uh you know have been sliding around they're trying to figure out the best thing to work but as far as his consistency I can't give you the answer every time he steps up to the plate, I feel like he's going to get a hit because the dude definitely has the arrogance and the cockiness about him. Maybe that, that might be why I like him so much. How about my boy Paul DeYoung? Mm. 
db talk about that come. perseverance man I mean, not just make, offensively. Talk about his defense. My send, goodness. Send, send everybody down for a yep. couple of weeks to AAA and piss them off. Well, Tyler I mean, O'Neill might be there soon. He's oh. definitely. That Jim would love that. Yes, bring it. He would He would have Redbird season tickets for sure, man. So, Jim, obviously, Pujols is, you know, could could hit 700. Um, You know, Will. they got. You think so? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I guess one games. Man. But I, I, think, I, I think his chances of hitting 700 is the same chances you have of getting that virus that just came up on the bottom of the screen. I know. I got to renew my anti-virus software. But no, <laughs> I, I, I went to take it off my screen and I realized it was yours. But anyway, <laughs> for those who can't see our thing, uh, no, I think he'll get there. I, if you would have asked me, like two weeks ago, no, but like Randy probably pulled up real quick. I know he had three home runs last week and he obviously had one today, but just over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I feel like he's gotten what, like eight. So, like, I mean, it's, it's came on really quick. Yeah. And he's going to continue to feast against left handed pitching. He's not going to hit every day, but if they have an opportunity to hit him against a lefty, they're going to do it. And he's feasting on it right now. The guy can still swing the stick. So, and they're going to need, they, this isn't just like, he's going to get 700. That's a great story. They absolutely like tonight. They, they scored one run. It was a home run by Pujols. They need his offensive production. Yeah. I mean, that would be my only concern is, is he's not going to, it's not like he's an every, he's not going to play every day. But I mean, you so, got Gorman right there waiting. That's the good news. Yeah. And he, he's going to have to have at bats. I think at some point this, this hot streak that he's on, he'll probably cool off. I mean, that's just baseball in general. Um, but does he have enough at bats to, to get him there in 40, you know, in, in, in about 40 games? I, I don't know. Oh, the way he's swinging the, it right ready, now. Yeah. I was going to say he only needs about seven games maybe to do it. Yeah. So, jump Braves eight and two, the last 10, four back of the Mets. You know, they, they kind of up and down, they, they pulled super close then they fell back now they're kind of trying to push their way back you know up there where are the braves at and where do you see them doing over the next couple weeks well, well finals just came in and the braves won the night and the mets lost uh thanks to resumes uh yankees so um they're only three back i feel like the braves can make that push it's the problem <laughs> You know, you know how when you see something, and, and especially when it's spectacular, it's hard to forget it. That Those back-to-back games where Scherzer and DeGrom dominated Atlanta have, like, owned my, you know, my headspace. And so, like, I can't get that out of my head thinking that, that the Mets have those two guys, and for me that makes them the better team, even though two guys don't make a complete team. Um, but when you just look at the runs that the Braves make, you feel like inevitably at some point they'll overtake them just like they did last year when they were laying chase, you know. So I, I feel like I feel like it's inevitable. But, you know, I don't know. We've talked about it. The, the Mets, um, you know, we thought they would fall a long time ago, or at least, you know, just based upon history. They're legit. Yeah, I mean – you said it. I mean, they got two dominant arms that are going back to back. It's really, it's, it's hard to go into a, a three game series, a five game series or a seven game series and think that you're going to 
win those two games. And if those are the two arms that you're facing out the gate, it's almost, you're almost in a hole. Um, so you got to be able to hit the baseball. And, and, and if you are not swinging the bat that well, it, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt you. And, and beating teams like the Mets will be very difficult. Um, so you got to have offset that with your own arms. And I don't, other than the Dodgers, maybe who, who has the arms that can compete with those. Are the Dodgers ever going to like, I mean, obviously they're only on a, f- a three game win streak, but like, it feels like they don't lose ever. Yeah. I mean, run differential plus 264. <laughs> Give me a break. Seven, seven and three. I mean, look at that. They got an 18, 18 game lead on the second place Padres. I mean, they could almost not play another game <laughs> and, and, and be good. Just relax, boys. We got yeah, this. Just chill out. Um, I, I do want to take our attention up to the American League East. The you know, and I'll, I'll get your take on this, Randy. Is are the Yankees playing as bad as everyone thinks they are, or it's just that they're having like a, a rough patch and they were up so big and now they've cut that that lead, you know, in half, so it just looks worse than it is. I mean, they're up eight games for crying out loud. Are they are they floundering? I mean, I don't think they're hitting a rough patch. I think they're going to be fine. They have too much talent. They got the pitching staff. They have the the offense. You know, we all know that. I think they'll be fine. I mean, this is a little lull. I don't think the Rays are going to catch them by any means in the division. But, I mean, you're still talking about a team that's plus 184 in run differential. Yeah, three and seven in their last ten. But that that team, under no circumstance – because think about it like this. If you look at their home away splits, they're only three games above 500 on the road. Guess what they're going to have? Home. home field advantage. Um, also, it says on Thursday, Stanton will be back. So, obviously, that helps. I mean, that's yeah. just, what is that going to be? Three more strikeouts and a pop Oh, dang. No way after my dude. <laughs> I mean, that but, dude. But Boone came out and said today that Cashman says he has his belief that they're still good to go. They are. I mean, they are. They're still they're, good to go. They're up eight games. They got the – Second best record in the American League. Your Rays aren't going to catch them, Daniel. Come on, no, nah, they're 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 not going to catch them. The the Rays will will hit that wild card, but I mean they got to actually they got to play better. I mean, uh, looking at at the standings, I mean Seattle is is right there, man. They're you know technically you know. I mean, well, that's the beauty wins, of the new for, the beauty they of the better new worry format. about the Blue Jays. Well, that's what I say, but the beauty of the new format is all the those three, all, all of them, yeah, are three in. are going to get in, so. It's just a matter of, you know, we, we say it all the time. When you play in that division, you're going to beat each other up. And now you got a team like the Orioles who isn't they're, – they're not playing that bad. They're, they're picking it up. They're, they're two games back of you. So you just got to be consistent, and you, you, can't, you can't go in and have, like, two bad weeks. Then you're in bad shape. I got the, I got the screenshot of if the postseason started today. So um... – the Rays would be playing the Guardians, and the winner would move on to play the Yankees. If it I would, today. I would take that all day as absolutely. As a the Guardians yeah. are though that's the worst playoff team in baseball. <laughs> and, and then just so y'all know, because we were just talking about St. Louis, St. St. Louis would be hosting the Phillies, and the winner would move on to play the Mets. Don't like that. But you know, we just talked about that Mets. That Mets thing may not. Uh, we would. We'd have to see how that would shake out. And oh, no, the Mets are winning that division. And I'm gonna tell you, who I want to play Jim. I want to play the Braves in the playoffs because you know who the Cardinals never lose in the playoffs. 
the Braves. The Braves. <laughs> and, and a note, since since I, I even uttered the words of the Phillies, uh, Bryce Harper has started his rehab assignment, so we had discussed would he be coming back this season. He is on his way back now. He's in route, so we'll see what happens there. But, guys, I want to shift gears now. I want to go to, you know, NFL. Obviously, there's fantasy leagues, you know, drafts popping up. We've got preseason games. But I want to talk first, you know, and, Randy, I'll go to you. Deshaun Watson, 11-game suspension, 5 mil. Um, you know, how do you feel about that ruling? Obviously, the NFL changed what, you know, a judge had said, and now it's 11 games, $5 million that's going to charity. And, you know, what's your take on that? I, so, first off, I, I don't mind the suspension. I don't mind uh, the fine. I don't mind any of that because he probably should have to pay the price for what he did. My problem is the process. You know, the NFLPA and the NFL all agreed to a process. They went to a third-party arbitrator. They ruled, right? It was what, six games, no fine. And then the NFL doesn't like that. So they're like, nah, we were just kidding. We're going to go hire another arbitrator. And then in the meantime, while this investigation is beginning, spending more money, the NFL and Deshaun Watson and his representatives get together and agree to the 11 games and $5 million. So what I think happened is Deshaun knew the NFL wasn't going to stop until they got a full season, which he would lose even more money. So I think he looked at it as his only way out. I just don't know the process. That's not what they bargained for. And when the NFL is, they make a process and agree to a process, but at the end they have veto power. That's not a process. And I don't like at, it. At what point does it become like feeling based where NFL is like, Oh, I feel like we need to do more. Absolutely. Like, who does Roger, yeah. you know, and Roger, yeah. who's he work for? He works for the owners. Right. So it, it's, it's kind of strange that you, you vote a, a procedure in place. And then you change it. I mean, I absolutely agree with, you know, with the what they settled at. But I'm, I'm with you. I don't agree in how the process was changed and how it's almost like, well, NFL said, well, we don't like it. So we're going to change the rules to make it benefit us. Yeah, I don't like that. So um, just makes me question, you know, decisions that they're going to make down the road if they do go to uh, independent. Um, arbitrator to to figure out you know a ruling on something are they just then going to go back and do whatever they want anyways um but thinking about this jim what's your take on it and do you feel like the you know the browns need to go out and look for a jimmy g or do you think they just need to to roll oh uh what's his face jacoby Brissett out there and, and see what happens um i mean honestly like randy said you know i'm going to Honestly, for the Browns' sake, I honestly think they probably would have just been better off if he was suspended the whole season. So, for instance, in this Jimmy G question, you go, you know that you don't have a quarterback for the whole season, and you automatically know that you need to go get a guy. Obviously, you can roll out Brissett. Brissett has proven at times that he can be good. But I feel like when you got the weapons that you do, especially you brought in Cooper, and then when you talk about Chubb and Hunt in the run game, like I feel like you should go get a guy like Jimmy G, especially if San Francisco is going to neglect him, as me and Randy have beat a dead horse about. If you're not going to play that guy, uh, he needs to be starting somewhere. And Cleveland has enough uh, uh, weapons around that, that that offense could be legit. How 
how crazy is it that the first game back would be against the Houston Texans? I feel like that shit's orchestrated. That's why it I is. feel like it was 11 games exactly. Like, why 11, you know? Yeah. So as a as a Colts fan, I've I've seen I've watched this Jacoby Brissett story play out, and uh, look, scroll back up on your screen there, Daniel. I want you to take a look at these those those yardages. Like, you see those you see those passing yards over there? That's Mister Josh Dobbs. Okay, you guys might have seen a little highlight from this past yet. You know this weekend, uh, we've seen Jacoby. What you know you don't you know what you're getting. You're gonna get a guy that's probably not gonna lose you a game, but he's not gonna do anything exciting no pizzazz so i don't know that you go out and get i love jimmy g love him but you're gonna pay jimmy g 26 million dollars to play 11 games because you know deshaun watson's getting 230 million dollars guaranteed from you to do nothing to do nothing right so i say start josh Dobbs, guys former ball guys coming in got some pizzazz he's got wheels he can throw the ball Jacoby Brissett is boring. We've seen it. He's not going to do anything. To, they got weapons. Jim, you talked about the weapons they have on offense, but that defense is one of the best in the NFL. Oh, uh, no doubt. Miles Garrett with uh, the, the the corner that just got the huge deal. I mean, that defense is oh, legit. Oh, I, I know. Three, three of them are LSU guys. You ain't got to tell me, bro. Yeah, that defense is legit, but none of the two guys I just talked about are LSU guys. But either way, it doesn't really matter. They got a ton of LSU talent. I'm on sending the team. Greedy Williams and Phillips at your ass. Yeah, well, send them. I, I, I won't run, but I'll hide. I mean, is it when you look at the schedule, is there any way in that first 11 weeks that the Browns even have a remote chance of having something to play for? By yeah. the time yes, comes yes, back? because look, Carolina's, back, not, yeah, Carolina's not good. The Jets are not good. The Steelers are not good. The Falcons are not good. Chargers are, they, are not are, good. The Chargers, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so they're probably, let's say that they, they should, they, those four, those first four games are absolutely winnable for them. Uh, Los Angeles, you're not beating them. I, I can tell you the Chargers, what is not good? Special teams. It is, it is not good. Oh, I, I think to Randy's point, if Herbert, you can, Herbert can't play everywhere. No, Very if it's, if, if he can't play to the Houston game, no, they can't hang on because. That that stretch with Buffalo and Tampa is before it too. Cincinnati, Baltimore, no, no, not a chance. Like Randy's saying, no, I, I agree with him on those first four games. But now, when you look at Los Angeles, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, no, not a chance. Okay, so let's let's go down through this. If you're let's say that okay, the first four games are winnable, but let's just say that they say they win them all, give them all to them, give them all. To well, them. no, let's just say they go four. No, probably not going to beat the Chargers. I, I don't think the Patriots are very good. I think that's a very winnable. So five game. and one. Okay, so you're probably not going to beat the Ravens. Cincinnati, that game was a toss-up last year, and they were really bad. So, like, they're probably going to split with Cincinnati in the year. But let's say they lose that one. That's five, five and two. Three. The Dolphins, I don't – I'm still oh, not believing the Dolphins. You're, you're at five and three now, six and four with the Dolphins. Okay, so Buffalo, not really going to beat them. Not going to beat Tampa. What does that put you at, six and six? No, that's 11. That, that five and six and five? Five and six. Four, five. Okay, so let's, let's say you're five and six or six and five. Either way, you're to me, you're still in contention right there. But you're then, but then, but then, look, then all right. So they come back, you get that win against Houston. Let's say that puts you even. But then, if and only if you're right about splitting with Cincinnati. But then you got Baltimore again. Then you got New Orleans, who's going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, just tough. Christmas. I mean, I, I they get a Christmas. Wait, man, my, my but you my, got the the Commanders. My beloved Browns are playing my beloved Saints on Christmas Eve. How dirty. Your beloved Browns. I said that as a that's joke. A, that's that's, I said that is the pick joke. every year to make the playoffs. Look, Todd Kelly Jr. playing for the Browns, too. Look at all this Tennessee talent they got right there, man. Wow. My goodness. Wow. They might go freaking 12 and 5. They, 
They might you know make what? a run. Time out. Let's do this for fun. This was not part of the rundown. I want you to make a bold prediction right now, Randy. Just give, give me give me their final record on the season. All right, let's run through it. All right, all right. Carolina, that's a dub. Baker Mayfield. Oh man, that's a tough one. All right, so let's go. New York's a dub. All right, two and zero. Pittsburgh, three and zero. Atlanta, four and zero. Los Angeles, oof, that's a loss. Four and one. New England, don't believe in them. Five and one. Uh, Ravens, that's an L. That puts you at five and two. Cincinnati at home. Yes, that's a Sunday night. No, is that a Monday night game? Monday night game. That's a dub. Halloween Monday night. Give me a dub on Halloween for the the Browns at Miami. Oh, I don't like to travel there. I don't like that travel. I'm going with a. That's a loss. Was that put them at five and three? Uh, six and three. Okay, six and three. Buffalo loss. Tampa Bay loss. Six and five at Houston. That's a dub. That's a loss. Seven and six. All right, Baltimore at home. Sunday, I'm still going lost. New Orleans lost. Win, win. It's nine and or uh, ten and ten and ten and what seven? No, I think you had nine and eight in the end. No, nine know. and eight. Yeah, nine and eight. I think that's where they're at. Daniel, you bold enough to say that these Browns will go nine and eight? You don't no. got to run the whole list. They're, are the are you going over? We're playing over and under with you. Over under nine and eight. Under significantly six <laughs> six wins. <laughs> Uh, me too. Me too. I think I got to go. Carolina might be a loss though, because Baker. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, he's running it back. Now. Man, that's that's a tough one. Baker going to be looking to really. You know what? No, that's a that's a dub for the Browns. No. <laughs> a lot Nine of and second, eight. You heard a it. Lot of, hey, a lot what, of what, 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 in, what intrigues you more, Randy? That first week, we're not even supposed to get this deep in the NFL. But Baker going uh, against the Browns or Wilson going as the Seahawks. You know how I feel about Russell Wilson, so I'm going to go Baker. <laughs> Baker. And now you got Russell Wilson wearing his own jersey. Like, he is everything I said he was from – I just drafted ago. him in fantasy last night. Bad I mean, that. that's fine. He'll probably do you just fine. Enjoy. Not a believer in the Broncos, though. No. Not that all. division is too hard. All right. what Are you a believer in Zach Wilson? Smashing moms. <laughs> I mean, it, not at playing quarterback. If that was the NFL. only thing you ever known for, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Right. I, I'm not a believer in Zach Wilson as an, a starting NFL quarterback that's, a that's you know, in the top 15. But was he their best chance at doing oh, anything? I, yeah. Yeah, of course. So that's – I mean, so, Daniel, let me ask – let me let me ask you the question. So, you ask us, will the Jets ever be good again, dude? N- no. Because you see this guy on the screen? Is that Vinny Testaverde? It might, it might as well be. It's Joe Flacco. For those of you that don't know, Joe Joe Flacco Super decided. MVP. Okay. Very, who, very all right, true. Randy, I'm going to find a way to bring Russell Westbrook in the show. Who got off with the bag better, Joe Flacco or Russell Westbrook? Well, Joe Flacco probably. Well, he won a title. He did win yeah. a title before you say that. But yeah. But I'm talking about in finding a way to have a really great season and then get paid the bag for it. You know, probably Russell because I think he made more guaranteed money. Gotcha. Because, you know, Flacco has that run and then didn't do anything afterwards. I mean, speaking, you know, speaking of, of the Jets and needing a quarterback. Is Jimmy G, I'm not saying he's going to go to the Jets, but is he ever going to go anywhere? 
like this has been a, a hot button conversation for what the whole off season and and we're still exactly where we started he will go eventually because they know that they right now you could get something for him and if you let him stay there you're going to pay him 26 million and you ain't getting shit man i'm looking to see right now i'm trying to think what team he could go to right now will be an immediate contender Steelers. i don't i mean the steelers make the most sense as far as they got some other pieces I agree, but I don't really think there is a destination outside of that that makes that would make a contender. Like he could go to several teams and making them better, like the Seahawks, for example. But they're not really good even with him. And it's in. Yeah, I'm division. sure. D, I'm sure. D, yeah, he can go. They ain't gonna send him in division, but DK, I'm sure would appreciate that. Yeah, true. Yeah, DK, DK got the bag. He's like, I mean, it's whatever. Yeah, Gino, throw, me, ball, throw me that ball. Not- I'll run down these pick sixes. Yeah, looking at it, I I think I agree with you. I think Pittsburgh probably the best looking team on there. If you think about it in that division, if you put Deshaun Watson in that mix, right, that division is sort of like the uh, the AFC, uh, the West, and the fact that they have all really good starting quarterbacks outside of Pittsburgh. Very true. I mean, you got Joe Burrow, you got uh, Deshaun, you got – Lamar, and then you got Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph, yeah. 2-0 and in the preseason, baby. Let's go. Let's get it. Taking them to win it all. I just, I've taken back everything I said about the Saints. So let's, let's, let's take it a step further. Obviously, we got fantasy drafts coming up. I think, Jim, you've already had one. I've had but, two, and Jamar's oh. taken twice in the first round. Therefore, I just want you to know, in our draft, I'm not taking them. Good. I, I, y'all go ahead and and keep messing around and let let him fall in my lap. You said you hated having the fifth pick. I just want you to know, in two different drafts, I landed him with the seventh and the eighth pick in both those drafts. So I feel confident you can get him at five. Well, y'all know you know where I'm headed if he's there. So I'll start with you, fantasy football. What is your top 10, like, if your draft order? Obviously, you've had a couple, but, like, thinking about things that you could have changed or done differently, where where would you fall as far as your top 10 if you had to pick? Um, JT is unanimous, number one. It's not even a question to me. Um, I refuse to take Christian McCaffrey at number two. I don't care what ranking has him there. I actually would have Austin Eckler there. Um, Justin Herbert and that Chargers offense is legit. They love to dump the ball off. He runs the ball well. I hate saying that with Randy on the air, but um, I would want the guy that's a part of that offense. Um, Then after that, give me Cup with three. Um, You know, I'm going to put – Chase in front of Jefferson, I really don't understand. When I think about who's throwing who the ball, and I understand there's more guys to spread the ball around in Cincinnati, but uh, give me give me Chase, then give me Jefferson, give me Cook. Randy, I got to ask you this before I give Daniel my next guy. I read the Alvin Kamara, the reason why people aren't talking about a suspension is his court date isn't even until the season's over. Therefore, he wouldn't get a ruling – one way or the other, we're getting in trouble till after the season. Therefore, um, I've seen people not pick them in the first round um, because they're scared of it. But based upon everything I've read from the Saints side, um, if his court date's not until after the season, that'd be correct, right? I mean, there, there's nothing that could happen prior to. Unless the NFL just says we're going to suspend you 
but they haven't said a word. But they haven't said a word. But I was I read the other day that the NFL will have a ruling before the season starts on him. So I think he's going to be out many games. So you wouldn't touch. So okay. So he would have been seven on my board. But if that's if that's not the case, you said how many? So how, give me give me how many games he is, so I can determine if he's even top ten worthy. He's going to miss eight games. Eight games. So he's not top ten worthy. So uh, I said Cook. Give me Henry. Um, I'm still a believer in Diggs. Put McCaffrey in there and Najee Harris. Hmm. Okay. Okay. But I hate that I I would roll the dice. I'm just going to tell you right now. If Alvin Kamara, nobody has let it happen yet, but it happened in my mock drafts. If Alvin Kamara is there in the second round, I don't care. I'm taking him, and I'll run that risk. I mean – What's the what? I mean, what's the the downside? I mean, I mean, that they have three different invest third party investigators and they suspend yeah. him all season. True, true. But if he does, if Randy was right about eight, I'll say this: one of the downsides for Alvin has been how much he gets worked. If he comes in with fresh legs, week nine, woohoo! Give me that action. Might be the best thing that happened to his career, honestly. <laughs> true, true. Randy, where are you set when it comes to the J- JT one through ten? Yeah, JT, 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 JT. All right, so JT is number one. That's unanimous, one hundred percent. Number two, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just because I was gonna put Eckler there, but I don't want to pick the same as Jim. So I'm gonna go Justin Jefferson. Number three, okay. I'm gonna go with uh, Cooper Cup. Okay, Love so it. since since you did that, look, I originally had on our slate last week when we didn't have an episode. Who was wide receiver one? Y'all remember that? I sent you the graphic, and I said, was it Chase, Jefferson, or Cup? So, based upon your your choosing, are you are you saying he's – because that was a fantasy question. That wasn't who the best receiver was. So, you're saying Jefferson is wide receiver one. I do. Okay. So and the only reason – and I'm only going and I would put Jamar Chase at four. And the only reason is what you said earlier. There's just – they got Tyler Boyd. They got a lot of options. They got Joe Mixon. I mean, you got a lot of things. And, I said and, Cup because the amount of times that they throw to him is insane. No, that's true, and and I could see that too. But I think Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, it's like he's he's like the safety valve too. He's in the long. He just gets a lot. He gets free a lot. He's so good. <laughs> Adam Thielen's taking all that coverage, baby. That's true. It's true. So I so what I had J T Jefferson. No, yeah, yeah, Cup Chase. So that was four. Uh, five would be Eckler because I think he could absolutely. I don't disagree with him being two. Um, I'm gonna go uh, number six. I'm gonna go Dalvin Cook. I'm gonna go Dalvin Cook. I like it. They they work him a lot. Got to use him a lot because you got Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. Uh, number seven, Najee Harris. Uh, did I say Stephon Diggs yet? Nope. Nope. All right. Definitely want him at eight. And number nine, that I can't. I don't know why I haven't seen this, but Travis Kelsey because he's a fantasy monster. And uh, number ten, probably gonna go. Uh, I really want to put – I cannot put Derrick Henry. I will not. I will not. I want to say – oh, man. I want to say Saquon at 10, but I just don't know if he's healthy. So, give me did Joe you, Mixon. Did you say McCaffrey? No, I did not. I'm not I'm not, I'm not. not going to say McCaffrey So, you're gonna say, so Bar- Barkley and McCaffrey, oh. we, we stay in safe. Went, went down that road before. I'm yeah, not, I've I'm done not falling twice. into that trap. Nope. 
I'm going to let him just uh, – Daniel won't touch either of them or Aaron Jones. Nope. Not a chance. Not a so – Aaron Jones was – it was right there for me, but I didn't I, I didn't want to do it. I don't know. I think this is the year A.J. Dillon takes his spot. I'm just – that's my that's my prediction. But, Daniel, you're in my league, man. Let me hear your thought process. All right. So, you know where I where He's I going land. Mike Evans, number one. No, he's going Jamar Chase. <laughs> Jamar Chase, one. Jonathan Taylor, two. Cooper Cup, three. Justin Jefferson, four. Austin Eckler, five. Scroll on down. I'm putting, this might be crazy, but I'm going to put Travis Kelsey, six. I'm going to go Stefan Diggs, seven. I'm going to go Debo, eight. I, we I have Trey a, Lance, but Trey Lance is his quarterback now. You got to remember that. But Jimmy G's still there, bro. They might just say, you know what, Trey Lance, thanks, but no thanks. So so before you continue picking, because you have it on your screen right now, none, none of us picked Devontae Adams, which is weird because he's always easily a top 10 guy. Not even – like, I, 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 I think I would go Dalvin Cook and then Devontae. The, pro, the problem with both of those guys is, like, this guy has to not be hurt, you know, and then Devontae, it's like, all right, well, now he's going from arguably the best quarterback in the league to a decent quarterback. Decent? Uh-oh. You got decent? Right. He's decent. Okay. He's decent. Now, look, I'll say this on the Cook thing. Is, is, he, a, is he a top-10 right, quarterback? Right. Don't make him run down the list of quarterbacks. <laughs> is, is, is he a top-10? He. Nah, he's on the French. Randy, right, so, so then at what point do you, can you label it decent? Like, he's when you not, get, if he's in the top half, he's better than decent. No, no, that's participation I, 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 I actually, ribbons. Man. I actually, I actually kind of agree with that. I think if you're top five, you're elite. If you're like top 15, you're decent. But let me ask you guys a question because you brought up the Dalvin Cook staying healthy. I made sure to get Madison because I had Cook in the one league. And last year I did that. How good is Dalvin Cook? Because when Madison replaces him, he gets the same amount of fantasy points. What does that actually say? Is that more about Minnesota's offensive line? And they are good. I mean, because yeah. I think I, it's it's more about the system than it, you know. Let's not get it twisted. Dalvin Cook's a monster. He yeah. is, but I'm just saying I've had to replace him before, and his backup just does the same damn thing. It's never like I've. That's why I always make sure if I get Cook, I'm gonna get Madison too. This guy right here is is the guy that I think is going to have a good season. The, the only lion I have ever picked was Calvin Johnson. I think that the Lions are going to have a good season. Not playoffs cuz that's crazy, but no. I mean they they lost a lot of games that were really right there. That, yeah, that they could have won. I mean, this is the guy like what about him? Tyreek Hill like this quarterback is still uh, that's a decent quarterback a decent oh, i would say he's average average he's below average i'm not a big i'm not a proponent but i tell you right now Derek carr is miles better than tua tunga baloa oh i would i would agree with that i'm just trying to see at what point do you put a quarterback on this list not well not in the first round no, no, no. But I'm saying, like, as far as overall rank, like, Randy, when I tell you where I got Russell Wilson last night, because you said you're not a fan of him, but you definitely know he'll get his fantasy. I know you're a fan of getting Russell Wilson in the seventh round all day, every day. Oh, for sure. 
And that's about where I think you, to me, the quarterback thing is like there there's it's this low value, but if you can get Russell in the seventh round, of course, but like, I don't start picking quarterbacks until fifth, sixth round. Yeah. The guys who go off and get like Allen and Mahomes in the second round is crazy. Yeah. yeah just, there's not enough points there. And uh, you can get a very good quarterback. If you wait. Absolutely. You can get um, Russell. Will. I bet it, you, won't get, may- I bet you won't get Herbert in the seventh round. I got hurt at my first draft. I sent you the picture. He was my fourth round pick. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be a top. I did top that three pick round just pick. for you. I just want you to know. I was looking at it and he was the highest ranked quarterback on the board. And I was like, I am gonna take this catch. It'll do you well. He better. Well, let's let's keep it moving, guys. We could sit here and, and talk fantasy football all day, but I'm sure over the next couple of weeks we're gonna have our drafts and there'll be a lot to unpack there. But Randy, I, I want to go to you first. Memphis basketball, there, it looks like they're they're trying to go after Bronny James. How do you feel about this? Is this a good move? Is this a bad move? How do you how do you view this particular? Is it PR related? What is it? Of course, it's PR related because the kid is average. He's not his daddy. But here's what I was thinking: you're probably you know he's not a one and done. I don't care what anybody says. I know they keep saying that he's eligible for the draft, but no. Nah. So what's the age difference between him and his brother, Bryce? Two years? Mm-hmm. So if you get Bronny and then he's still there, does that put you in the driver's seat to get Bryce? Probably so. And he's the better player by all accounts. But absolutely, it it, it, it puts you on the cultural icon map getting a guy like that. Now, Penny is already on that. He's got his own shoe. He's got swag. He's this and that. Yeah, this absolutely gives him that street cred to say, look, LeBron trusts me with his kid. Of course, you're going to get a circus that goes along with it. You're going to have LeBron in the in, at the games. I mean, it, it gives you you're a you're a star. You're a story then, and then you get to go and you get to live all that glory. Daniel, let me ask you because they were talking about it on local radio. They said LeBron is not one of these hack dads who didn't make it, who puts unrealistic expectations on their kids. Because Randy was just talking about keeping it real, how good Bronny was. Do you think LeBron is, you know, a realist when it comes to his son because he knows the game so well and he is as good as he is that he knows what his son really is? Or do you think he's probably just like a lot of other dads and probably thinks he's better than he is? So I think the problem here is your your metric of comparison is to one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player to ever do it. Like, it's hard to say anybody is at that level. But I'm not saying it's at that level, but he knows what great, like, what a good, uh, I'm not even saying himself. He's played against all these guys. He knows what a really good player is. Yeah, but I think. is not really good. Do you think he would openly, like, admit that and not try to, like, for instance, Randy says, try to force him to go in the draft the first year knowing he ain't good enough? Um, No, I think his, I think being a dad and having a dream of playing with your kid is probably going to take precedent there. I mean, your, your, your job as a dad is, is to help your kids be the best that they can be and put them in the best, you know, position for them to succeed. So with you saying that, then what Randy just said, he won't be there past one year. And that's what they were talking about on the radio. They probably know they'll only get him for one because Teams are going to draft him because LeBron has been open and made it clear that he would go play where Bronny is. 
yeah, that's only going to, yeah. But I mean, it's, but that doesn't help you as an NBA team. You can't put Bronny on the floor and expect him to contribute. Right. But Randy, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's, let's just take a bigger picture. I know we're going to, we'll swing it back to Memphis. But if you're a team in the first, like obviously not passing up on the top five talent title, let's say 10th pick, would you take Bronny if you knew LeBron was coming? No. Daniel? No. No. I just don't I don't see a scenario where the fucking wizards or everybody has said it'd be great if it was the Hornets. But like (laughs) yeah, I don't I don't see a scenario where LeBron's going to a really bad team and he's like, Yep, can't wait to go there just to play with my son. On top of the fact, like, didn't he just sign with the Lakers for but it's two years billion dollars but yeah it's two but one's optional and he did that on purpose because that's Bronny's first right exactly eligible year but back on the memphis note i'll say this i think it for what it would do for memphis you know memphis has already been getting some national attention um this just takes it to a whole nother level um whether he's a good basketball player or not um some people say they don't want that circus show this isn't you know the ball family this is lebron james and you know the following he has um, that's absolutely the attention you want, in my personal opinion. And I'm not even a LeBron guy. I mean, that's uh, – I, I think if you're, if you're a – if you're in – if you work for the university in the athletic department, you're hoping that happens. That it's going to increase revenue. It's going to increase ticket sales. It's going to do all the things that they – would like for a program to have um but also it's going to bring national attention i mean if you're trying to get into new conferences and 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 do things like and you can draw that kind of star power like that's going to turn eyes that's going to make a difference so i don't see i think the pros definitely outweigh the cons but i can definitely see the cons like being like some big time obstacles and hurdles that could be in the way for sure. And Penny used to that though. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, yeah, that's uh been the case since he's been there. It's you know, it's all about elaborate the show, the you know, you know, marketing of the brand. And this is just another example of that. But uh time will tell. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited either way, regardless of whether he comes or not. I think um we're poised for a pretty pretty good year um you know i i want to talk you know briefly right now you know about the grizz obviously i'm reading some things that the grizz are 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 back in the the kevin durant sweepstakes like randy how how has that happened it it happens because the grizzlies put it out there they they leaked it out there you know hey we got five first round picks but the grizzlies were steadfast and they're leak that they're not willing to part with Jaron Jackson. They're not willing to part with Desmond Bain. And when you look at it, you had them turning down Jalen Brown and uh, another piece from the Celtics. That I mean, if that's not enough, my God, to get J- Jalen Brown back and you're going to give them five first round picks. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. I think it's, it's awesome to see the Grizzlies in a conversation because it just speaks to the stardom that this team has. And it's, it's John Morant, it's Desmond Bain. I guess Jaron Jackson Jr. And then you got, you know, Dylan Brooks, whatever. But 
if they were going to package those five first round picks and Dylan Brooks, I'm all for it, baby. Let's go. I but think, not, not Desmond. I think Kevin Durant saw that there was 28 televised games for the Grizzlies and a Christmas Day game against the Warriors and said, I want to be a part of Warriors. that. Warriors. Said, I want to be a part of that. Now, I will say this to both of y'all. What better legacy moment for a guy who gets people like Jim that say that ring is cheap? Those championships are cheap. MVP finals cheap because you went and joined your enemy. If you could go to a team like the Grizzlies and beat the Warriors, that cements you. That cements your legacy. You're all-time great. You know there's nothing that I would want less because then that actually is going to bring a lot of more negativity as if he needs any more to Russell Westbrook because then it'll be KD and Ja got it done. So I'm off not for this happening. But I got a question for you, Randy, because you know all about ratings. Obviously, we know football is king. How much does it bother you that the Bucks Cardinals are at the same exact time as the Christmas Day game or Christmas night game for the Grizzlies Warriors? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what I'll be watching is the Grizzlies game, but the Bucks Cardinals will outdraw that. I know it'll outdraw one. It, but my point is putting Tom Brady on on Christmas at the same time as, you know, the damn Grizzlies game. Listen, man. Tom Brady might be at the crib trying to save his marriage on Christmas Day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, we might not have to worry about it. We might see Daniel, Daniel, out there Daniel suiting up. So, if you have if you're given if you're given 50-yard line seats to that Bucks game on Christmas with your family or you can stay at home comfy and watch the Grizzlies and Warriors, what are you doing? I'm gonna stay home. Watch Grizzlies and Warriors. I'm just curious because you're the one that has actually that option. Because I, I'll go and watch a different game like the Chiefs. <laughs> just, just way, to, way to cheapen my question. No problem. All right, guys. Uh, last, last thing on the dock is Randy. Got to address you, fight guy. Obviously, you know we we just came off of a, a big episode uh, talking, you know, the fight game. But um, Usman gets knocked out by Edwards. What does this do for him? And, and you know, moving forward, was this kind of just like a one-off? You know, every fighter is going to get caught, and he got caught? Or is this like the sign of, 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 of a problem? No, not a sign of a problem at all. I, I think what we saw in the whole fight was that Usman dominated the fight. He literally did what he wanted to do for four rounds and another four minutes and four seconds. He dominated the fight. He was killing the card, and he got caught. I mean, that everybody talks about a puncher's chance. Well, this was a kicker's chance. It, it hurts Usman's legacy a little bit. He was one, one fight shy of tying Anderson Silva's record of the most wins in a row. Um, I mean, this was going to be his sixth title defense, successful title defense, and it didn't happen. But I think the upset part is that they've already fought before. Usman won in a unanimous decision. He was about to win in another unanimous decision. Edwards knew what he had to do, faked it hit the leg kick. I mean, it was a great, perfect, perfect, perfect shot. But Edwards, people sleep on this guy, man. This guy had an 11-fight win streak. Usman had a 15-fight win streak. Edwards' last loss was to Usman in 2015. That's what I was fixing to ask you. That's what I figured yeah. it was. So, like, this dude hasn't lost in seven years, and people are acting like this was like a Rocky Balboa moment. I mean, this guy's a great so fighter. The, so the question is, does that mean the rubber match has to happen, obviously? I mean, it's obvious. Absolutely. Question, right? Yeah. And, and also, when it happens, you're talking about, is there Usman will dominate that fight. <laughs> I mean, it is what he's a better fighter. He got caught. 
it's, it's, it hey, and, that, and that kick, man, like, ooh, man, hey, that was that was good. They, they, they a little. Maybe if you if you add the fact that it beat Usman and his win streak and everything, they said maybe the best kick knockout ever. That was obviously straight up, but dang, that was nice. That was nice. And you got to think about it like this. Everett said after the fight that was his worst UFC fight in his career, and he's had twelve UFC fights. He's lost what once, yeah, once in the UFC. I mean. It was his worst performance, and he ends up getting a knockout. So even he was kind of lending that. Not as a lucky shot was that he landed a fortunate shot, and the Usman, you know, is into the fight. Maybe there's some fatigue. You fake the right. You hit him with the left with the kick. I mean, it's perfect. It was executed beautifully. So let's say there is another fight. Um, let's say Edwards figures out a way to win. Does Edwards have the ability to break Anderson Silva's record? No. No. Just not a good enough fighter. I, I just think that that I, I don't think he's the caliber of fighter it's going to take to beat Usman again, number one. So you're saying if he beats him again, I don't think he will. But let's say he does. I don't know that he's as technical. Usman is just so technical, and he gets points by doing – maybe they're not even doing a whole lot of damage, but he's going to get those points, take them down, keep them there, hold them, ground. I just I, – I, to me, there's a big difference in fighter. But Everett's a great fighter. I'm not saying he's not. Usman's one of the best in that division ever. And we'll continue to be, by the way. Absolutely. So what's what's the next fight on the horizon? What should we be looking for? Are you kidding me? Our guest Saturday night. Yeah, we're we're all in for our guest. We're we're looking for that kind of stuff. But if you're talking about just straight UFC, I wish I could tell you, but it's it's so much harder to to guess the next matchup. There's a lot of talk about the you know one of the Diaz brothers who Edwards just fought and like beat him up. I don't know why we would want that fight. There's a lot of talk about it though, but as far as Usman, I, I don't. I think his next fight should be against Edwards, but I think Edwards will fight one more time in between that. Usman was taken to the hospital, released, and his quote was, and I quote this: "Champs fuck up sometimes, but I'll be back with a vengeance," and, and I believe that. Oh, get it. Oh, get it. Well, let's roll out this piece. Last call, Jim. You got anything? Yeah, man. Sad note. I text you guys about it. Our girl Grace, she got hurt last night. They took a loss, took one on the chin. Number 22 ranked Memphis Tigers went down to Oxford. Number 18 took a loss. Man, but I'm ready. She, hey, we talk about all this perseverance. We've talked about all the things we've talked about, whether it was a fight game, baseball game, whatever. She said, be ready because they're coming back with a vengeance. Randy, what you got? Last call. Speaking of the UFC, during the Gronk's broadcast, it was the story was told by Dana White that he had brokered a deal to get Tom Brady to the Raiders and Gronk. Brady was allegedly looking for houses, and uh, none other than John Gruden nixed the deal, man. So how different would life be for the what are they, the Las Vegas Raiders now? Would Chris Gronkowski have been on the team? That's all I need to know. All the Gronks. All of them. Why, why would you why would you not want that? Because he's John Gruden. He doesn't want success. I mean, I think I think Brady made the right choice, him and Gronk both, but man. No, nah, I'm good. I don't want the best quarterback ever. I'm good. No, thank you. I want to build it my way. That's how, I want, that's I want, how much I want he thinks this, about Derek Carr. I want Don't you fucking Carr say it. Quarterback. Derek yeah. Carr. Mediocre. Derek, Derek Decent. That's his new name. 
I mean, you know about decent quarterbacks being a Cowboys fan. Hey. Oh, here we hey. go. You know, you know, we're we're just gonna save it. I, I don't. It's late, and I don't want to say something that I'm gonna regret. Justin Herbert over Dak Prescott every day of the week, twice uh, on Sunday. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I've kind of rolled over to that side. Oh, better man. Just wait. Just wait. That's all I gotta say. We waiting for another. Nine win season sneaking into the playoffs in the worst division uh, in football. Hey, it is what it is. Playoffs are the playoffs. That's coming from just wait till we get our picks and I pick the Eagles to win the East. Ooh. Oh Lord. Can't, can't go. It's Alabama quarterback. That. I can't do it. Oh, not doing it. Won't do it. But what I will do is I'll end this episode before before things get any any crazier. This nonsense coming out of your mouth right now. I want to. Thank our guest, Eric Razelman, for joining us. What a what an awesome story. Perseverance and just, you know, living your dream, following it and not giving up on it. But if you like hearing Eric's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. We'll be back Wednesday night. We got episode nine coming out here. Work's going to stay with the trend. We're bringing back another MLB prospect with the New York Mets, Dylan Ross. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.